Welcome to the Truckers Mind Podcast. I'm Eddie McGee. It's your boy K Fings. We're back, episode 123. Uh, we got a special guest in the building. We've got Brent McClanahan. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Yes, be Mac in the house. All right. <laughs> he gave himself a grand entry there. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Brent. Uh, okay, so you know, bred, born, and raised out here in these Beggarsfield streets. Okay, uh, you know, reared at Fremont, moved on to Chavez, and went to Emerson <laughs> for a little bit. Got kicked out of Thompson, you know, scrubbing all over there to South High, and graduated from there. And from then on, man, just been living life one day at a time. All right, there you go. Okay. He gave us a full biopic. A lot. <laughs> did, did, I, did, did I ask a loaded question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. I came man. out of the womb. The right. doctor cut the umbilical cord, slapped me on my ass, and here I am. It all started when they circumcised my penis. <laughs> that's, that's the truth, right there. <laughs> you ain't lying. That's funny. Uh, it was on. All right, man. Um, okay, well, that was a good a good deal there. Um, <laughs> let me just go ahead and go into the topics. We'll definitely get back to Brent. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is getting right into it. Um, the rapper Logic um, just released his last album. He retired uh, from hip hop. Um, he's now 30 years old, which is very young to be retiring from anything. Um, but I, I noticed in the album, he spoke about, um, you know, his basically his mental illness and things were weighing on him, which kind of caused him to leave. And also he wanted to be a better father to his child, his newborn son. Uh, Bobby Jr., I believe his name. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just a day ago, an article was released and it was regarding Joe Budden. And Logic spoke about how um, the harsh words from Joe Budden over the years affected his mental illness. And let me read something in quote here. I think, uh, no, Keith, you didn't send me the article. You just told me about it. I'm glad you told me because I would, I didn't call it, catch it. I don't catch everything within the the news cycle. But basically, in an interview with uh, Hot 97's Peter Rosenberg, Logic opened up about his reaction to Joe Budden's recent apology and the podcaster's impact on his mental health. Um, this is Logic in quote. I didn't see the apology. I didn't see his review of the albums or any of this. Logic responded when asked about the apology. I literally have no issue with Joe Budden. I've never met him. I don't know him. Um, Logic went on to explain how Joe Budden's excessively negative comments over the years have affected his mental health. Um, he doesn't like me for whatever reason. He wants to say I'm not black enough. I'm not good enough. Logic said he's a person who's led a part of my depression. Some of my darkest spaces. Uh, he added that uh, that though Budden may not believe his dialogue is that harsh. It carries a heavy burden on people. Bro, your words, they make people want to kill themselves. That's what he said in quote. Um my opinion on this is basically that um, <sighs> platforms matter, man. When you get on your platform and you spew hateful shit, it's going to come back. I think that if you have uh, an opinion on someone, that's fine. If you don't like someone's music, that's also cool. You don't have to like people's music. Right. But saying it's trash and that, oh, man, he ain't black enough. Oh, this is trash. And you, you assume that people are supposed to react a certain way. But you cannot determine how someone's supposed to react. Like, you don't have the power to do that. So Joe Budden did. He did apologize. And I did see that. And I think that the apology was pretty heartfelt. I think he started feeling bad for the shit he was saying. But he's been doing this shit over over years. By the way, 
I'm pretty positive Joe Budden would love to have Logic's career. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of um, um, reflecting or, or projecting, excuse me. I think he said that about himself. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's my. What did point. Joe Budden? What was his apology? I didn't, I didn't his, see his, his apology. His apology was just like you know, I was you know, any anybody should respect the fact <clears throat> that Logic is retiring to be a better father to his kids. This and that, and my stupid ass is up here running my mouth. And you know, I mean, I'm sorry about that. This and that, but it's. I mean, when you apologize, <laughs> it's fine. But right. when you've created a um, a habit of speaking down on someone that's going to yell way louder than that fucking apology. I don't, to me, I don't even think that's an apology. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds like he, I don't know. He's just, I guess he, he just kind of changed his tone, but I don't know if he right. actually apologized for anything that he said. Right. Cause I listened to the podcast and to me, it didn't sound like an apology to me. It sounded like it was, um, he, he just kind of shifted the way he, talked about logic Hmm. i don't know if he he necessarily like went back and you know uh try to take back any of those those harsh criticisms he had because he actually said he still doesn't so he said you know he you know he's a he's happy that he's retiring and Mm -hmm. this thing and wanting to be a father and that's Mm -hmm. a you know commendable thing Mm -hmm. um but then he also doubled down on a statement about how he doesn't necessarily care for his music so that's fine, but you don't you don't have to keep beating people over the head with that. You've made it clear that you don't like the music. Just fucking move on. Right. Yeah, what I'm saying. My only point was that it wasn't yeah. an apology. That's, yeah, that's I feel you. Yeah. It wasn't like a real like heartfelt. Yeah, maybe to him it was an apology because he's probably that dysfunctional. <laughs> you, you, you have to realize some people are so fucked up in the head they may think they apologize to you, but they'll say something like, "I'm sorry, you feel that way." Yeah, you be like, "Motherfucker, what did you yeah. just say?" Yeah, <laughs> that's not an apology, you asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. Yeah, that's not an apology. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I think uh, you know, for me, um, my uh, kids is aunt. She's a producer for um, Logic. She actually mm-hmm. the front runners is what they're called on Instagram. You can check them out. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I've heard nothing but great things about Logic. You know, for coming from them, I've mm-hmm. heard that he was a good, really a good guy overall. Like he was trying to bend over backwards to get them to produce music for him, and they actually got a couple of platinum uh, songs off of that album from yeah. him. You know, that's working cool. with him. Yeah. So cool. it's like <clears throat> when I hear a man that's doing great things for people that you know, not just I that I can hear people say that, hey, this is actually a good guy. I, I believe them. But mm-hmm. when you got a man coming at that will attack another man's character just because. His career ain't been jumping since Pump It Up. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Like, the, uh, I haven't seen the man, you know. Yeah. And then he came back out with Shady Records and everything. Yeah. But, you know, that just comes to show you, like you said, very dysfunctional. Yeah. You know, and then, like, for the apology to be 30 or 20 years later, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know? yeah. Even though I've been saying you're not black enough or you're ugly or I don't like you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this man's probably be sitting there thinking, I got a mental problem and this brother don't even want to talk to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can, can I ask you why you feel like I'm not black enough since you over here telling everybody else but me? Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no. Nah. You, you have to understand that as a man, there's only so much you can say on your platform about somebody. Mm. I think if if I make it an effort to tear you down, then uh, I think right. that there needs to be some type of dialogue at some point. I agree. And, because it's like, dude, like imagine if I'm on my podcast every week. Like, let's say I'm a guy that's 
I don't know. I'm on the opposite podcast. And I'm like, man, fuck Eddie, man. Fuck Keith. Fuck Eddie and Keith. Eddie is trash. Keith is trash. Eddie is trash. And the thing about it, you think we're not going to catch that shit someday? Right. You know, me and Keith, I mean, we pretty much wouldn't really acknowledge it. But we're still going to be like, what's up with this motherfucker? Mm -hmm. I've never met this dude. Why does he think it's okay to keep doing this? Right. So now if you see me in person, are you going to keep the same energy? Mm. Unless you want me to fucking slap you, what are you going to do? You know, right. so you, you need to learn to respect people. You can respect people. You could not like someone's music. You could not like them, mm. but you can still respect that person. I don't know people why people don't get it. They think that just because they don't like a person's music, it gives them um, free reigns to fucking disrespect somebody. Right. Yeah. That's stupid. I'm yeah. not a fan of what's her name? Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't. I, don't, I can't fuck with the music. But yeah. if I seen her, I'm gonna be like, "How you doing?" Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna say, "Oh, she trash, she stupid." Like that's dumb. Yeah, right? there's no reason to do that. There's no reason to do it. Yeah, right? I think in and you know, we talked about it off the podcast, but we, me and Eddie, we we made a short film that mm-hmm. dealt with the same scenario about how um, important it is to be mindful of the things you're saying, right. and especially when you have a platform. Like basically, the sto- the in the short film. Eddie and I were having this conversation and he was making a joke about somebody killing themselves and mm. eventually they killed themselves. So it's yeah, it's yeah. like that same scenario, you know, this right. the logic is saying that, you know, people are, you know, him also, he, he probably wanted to kind of divert the, the tension and, and speak in a vast manner instead mm. of actually talking about itself. That's probably why he said like people right. want right. to kill themselves. Right, but, right, right. Um, but in reality, like, you know, the, the words that Joe Budden is saying, and he may think it's just a joke or he may think it's just an opinion and no one should care, but right. we're human beings. Right. You know, we care what other people think. And right. that's why we have to be be extremely mindful of, of uh, our own opinions, because mm. even on here, we, we, we rarely share our opinions about um, entertainment stuff. Or even if we do share our opinions, it's only to highlight something that's going on. 100%. Like we right. don't come on here and talk bad about an album. We don't come on here and talk nah. bad about a movie. Right. Because that's, you know, that's people hard work. Logic, yeah. it worked extremely hard on you know, oh, those, man. all he that did. music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if I do say, man, I didn't like that movie. It was, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember, like, I'll add context to like, I didn't like the movie at all, honestly. But, oh. but you add context and say, art is subjective. There's somebody mm-hmm. that fucking loves that movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not good. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you don't, when you don't uh, preface the statement, or add more context to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that shit's just fucking garbage and they need to go to hell. Right. And then people yeah. listen. And some people can't think for themselves. So what happens is, is you start to develop a whole subculture of people who hate logic. Mm. And now they're in his inbox, trash, trash, <laughs> trash. Right. And yeah, it's fucking right. with him. Yeah. Mm. You know? So I'm sure you can Google and, some hashtags that right. probably fall in line. Probably. And, and you know what's crazy is that, <clears throat> you know, I, I suffer from bipolar ism and I also have like a little bit of schizophrenia as well and I think one of the things is is that when you have people that come with mental illness and you have those people that are around you like for example he's in a realm where Joe Budden's in the same realm as him right mm-hmm. at my when I was diagnosed in the beginning I had people that were family that were around me but they'd be like oh nothing's wrong with you oh you're fine yeah. oh you're okay you know mm-hmm. internally though I'm suffering mm-hmm. but hearing them tell me that nothing's wrong with me when I at once I want to tell them like, no, I have something wrong with me, but I become then hold it inside myself because now I don't want them to know what I, the fuck I got going on, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, it's tough, man, because it eats at you. Mm-hmm. It really does eat at you. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel for the brother. I really do. 
Yeah. I think the the most powerful thing you just said was the fact that you acknowledge that you have a form of mental illness. Mm. And I think that's the number one uh, number one step. My mm-hmm. mother has schizophrenia. We okay. talked about that like I think a week ago or so. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I think so. Last week. Mm-hmm. Last week. Um, and some people that have mental illness, they don't really face it. Right. And a lot of times I, in the black community, when someone has a mental illness, people mm-hmm. just, oh, he crazy. Oh, they, <laughs> he just crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like you just categorize people as crazy instead of actually trying to find a way to help that person with mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I think one of the things that I had, um, the schizophrenia is a schizophrenic hallucinations. And so in 2011, you know, I went through a lot. But one of the things that I picked up was the, the hallucinations. So <clears throat> when um, I was uh, going through my hard times, my mind built up a person inside of my head. And so the person would look just as real as just anybody. Mm-hmm. Like it was a woman, actually. And so and besides the fact that I was like lonely, didn't have a woman at the time. You know, my mind had made this person up that actually was there to help me. And so but I finally figured out that it was because I was on all these different medications, bupropion, you know, Seroquel, Abilify. I was on all these blood pressure pills. I was on um, I was actually I was an addict. Actually, I was addicted to hydrocodones. And so, you know, all that was messing with my mind and made me have these hallucinations. And so Mm -hmm. when I finally got off of the drugs and my daddy had me. (laughs) <laughs> and do it like a seven day. You're going to take this Sony seven stuff, drink this every day and, you know, stop being an addict. You know, I'm going to have you go in the room and you're just going to lock you in there. And I mean, I had nice sweats and everything, you know, it was just like the movie Ray. Huh? Yeah. Oh, no, man. it was, it's really like that. Like mm-hmm. you really will be tripping out like yeah, really crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It, and so when I, when I, when I was done, when I'm, when I was able to, uh, the reason why I guess I said all that to just say is that, you know, when you're dealing with, Towards the end of my journey of realizing that all that stuff was messing with my mind, on top of the bipolarism and everything, that she was a hallucination. She wasn't real. And mm-hmm. then when I got off all those pills and stuff, that's when I started realizing, like, oh, wow, my mind made up something to help me, though, protect me. Yeah. Because the world wasn't helping me. People oh, weren't man. realizing that I was hurting. I'd be walking around and I'd be looking for people to say, oh, how are you doing today? No, I'm just a big nigga that they mm-hmm. see. They don't mm-hmm. acknowledge me. You know, and I'm waiting on somebody to ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. Because I'm not getting it from, you know, from I felt at the time like anybody, even Mm -hmm. my own family, you know, it was just very neglected and very. So I can feel for the brother because I, too, have the same kind of illness. Right. And so but and how I deal with it is making sure I stay on my medication, making sure that I do pray, make sure I do my meditations and make sure that I just keep my head on myself, you know? But when you have people like that are negative like that, that come at you and you have that issue. It exacerbates it. Yeah, it's exacerbates. 10 times harder to deal with it. Man. You know, what's what's crazy to me is, is I don't want to crack a joke here, but not on your situation at all. But in regards to Ray, in regards to Ray, uh, uh, Ray Charles, he was a drug addict, but he, he was blind. So... In order for him to get clean, all you got to do is hide the fucking drugs. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Georgia, where's my drugs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's my drugs, man? <laughs> baby, now let, let me tell you something right now. I, I just, <laughs> just got to talk to you for a minute, baby. Yeah. He was a legit heroin addict, man. No, he yeah. was. He That's was. fucking crazy. Yeah, man. And it's Dang. like, and, and the thing about it is, is like, and and he was a self-sufficient 
heroin addict. Like he oh held, he, he hid this shit from people. Right. Yeah, he knew he knew how to do everything. How could a blind person hide anything? <laughs> Shouldn't crazy. it be in plain sight? Okay, <laughs> Washington was hot when she found right. the trust. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> is this my, med- my medicine? Put it back. Put it back. Leave it alone. Nah, nah, don't worry about <laughs> this right here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, you know what's crazy is that actually, you know, being an addict, um, it's it's the funny things is I mean it's not funny at all right but I'm just talking about my own personal uh, experience mm-hmm. with it is that when I was an addict I noticed that a lot of things I did was like really crazy like I would do these most outlandish things like <laughs> okay so one night I decided well <clears throat> I was going to just walk outside butt ass naked wow you know what I'm saying just walk down the street you know and then. <laughs> I walked over there to Liberty High School because that's where my parents stayed at over there at the time. And I'm over there just running around in circles, man. I'm telling you, like that when you are high on so many shits, it will make you just do some crazy. You will be out of your mind. So it's like sometimes like I would be at places and not even know I was there. Oh, my God. That's how like wild like those like hydrocodone if you take it because. Normally, the pills will say, oh, you know, take it every four to six hours. Mm-hmm. But with me, baby, I wasn't taking I was taking all the time. So, yeah. Oh I, had to, I had a, I was really an addict. So, I'd be popping that with alcohol and I was smoking too. So, it was oh like, my God. just like really just, but it was the pain, but it was helping with the pain though. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, it was a pain that no one else was nourishing. And that was the only thing that was helping that pain. That and me eating a whole lot of food, baby. I'm what? talking about, I, man, I used to, man, I was a food addict. Okay. Let me oh. tell you. Yeah. Food gasm. I'm talking about like chicken nuggets. You said a food gasm. Yeah, man, I had them food gasms, man. Food <laughs> <I> mean, gasms. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, play. I had them food gas boy. I go in there, give me five Big Mac combo meals with some twenty piece chicken nuggets and five about, Big Macs, five Big Mac combo meals and a twenty piece, twenty piece chicken nuggets. And I get three How hours. are you still here, man? I'm trying to tell you, I was four hundred pounds. I was a no big, way. I, I was a big four hundred. Yeah, brother, four hundred pounds. Oh my god. I'm yeah. talking about like a whole lot How of tall me. Are you? I'm about uh, well, you know, I'm a good. Damn, five ten. Uh, <laughs> wow, there you go. But you know, I take my shoes off. <laughs> five nine. <laughs> wow. But yeah, man, food used to be my just my nourishment. You know, you go to In and Out, and I, and I literally would go get six by sixes. Mm-hmm. Six. Is that legal? Yeah. I, well, you know, <laughs> you got to ask. You know. <laughs> wow. It's on the secret menu. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, that's a big secret. So I was, It was a big secret. Very oh big. And I'm telling you, I used to take the chicken nuggets and go do 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 do. And then all the way down my belly button, dip it inside of the ranch or the whatever I had, the honey mustard, and then I would flip it up. And every time I would catch it, because I'd be hungry. You oh see what I'm saying? Oh my God. Right. And if I didn't finish it, I I like one time, oh my goodness gracious. And I and I think off off t- um and it was actually pretty tra- okay, hold on. We about to have a it's about okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, damn, it really brought up something. So <clears throat> I remember being so depressed. This is back in 2011, right? I remember being so depressed that my first college party, and I think, you know, we had discussions oh, about yeah, it prior yeah, before, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, when the shooting happened. You remember the shooting at Cal State Bakersfield? Oh, yeah, vaguely. The young lady was, you know, we were all, well, I was at, I attended the party mm-hmm. um, at Cal State Bakersfield. And so, um, you know, things were looking kind of, you know, just, not looking real safe. You mm-hmm. know, they had it behind this big ass water tower. That yeah, that was the craziest there. party. Right, right. No, <laughs> no police, sketchy. no security. Yeah. You know, just a bunch of just niggas. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> 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 yeah. you, it was just real sketch, man. And so 
um, that night, you know, she had gotten shot, man. And, and, and I, I, I had left to go get some alcohol for, you know, some of my college friends, you know. And so I came back and I was like, oh, what's going on? People were running. So I stood up on top of my van in the parking lot and all I saw was somebody just dumping, dumping off. Right. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And so um, after that, it happened. I drove off, you know, like I drove away. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like this is like traumatic for me because I seen somebody like people just running and shooting and everything. I went to McDonald's and I kid you not, I was so just like in a depressive state that I ordered six Big Mac combos. I ordered five apple pies and I even ordered three Oreo McFlurries and I ate all of them that same night with a 20 piece chicken nugget. And I went to In-N-Out and got me a shake. That same day, same night. God, I was that. Fuck. I was that fucked up <clears throat> from oh that shit. That I ate all that food that night. People yeah. don't think that there is a correlation between depression and food, and I think that's the biggest oh, lie. Sure. Oh, man. That's yeah. the biggest I, lie. I, you know, it's, and it's crazy because you know when you get made. I mean, like just think of all the things. I, when I was younger, they'd be like, "Oh, Brent's the big one. You know, hey, you, you want the rest of this food? Yeah, give you, you want the, the bigger seconds, spoon you know? and whatnot. Right. You know what I mean? Right? You, know what I mean? like, you the big nigga, so it's like yeah. <laughs> you get big everything, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, you, and then as you come up, like you realize, like you know, I wasn't popular when I was a kid. Right. You know what I mean? Like they, I was that fat kid that everybody's like, "Damn, like are we gonna get the white boy? Or are we gonna get this girl?" Right, we getting the girl. Fuck these niggas. You know that's yeah. it kind of thing. And I be this is at like Fremont, and then I really didn't like really get on until I actually went to Emerson. See, mm-hmm. prior to that, they just like, oh, you just fat. You fat. Yeah. You know, you can't get no girls. You ugly. You mm-hmm. fat. You four eyes. You know. Yeah. I mean, the little mean shit it's, they be saying. Yeah, it's abusive though. It like, is. like let me reel it all in. I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop you. What you were saying, no, but no, go ahead. Uh, I'll reel it all in. Like the, what you got the abuse to. You know, you're fat. You you know you ugly. This that and third. Mm-hmm. Um, to reel it in with the Joe Budden situation when Joe Budden saying all this shit. He mm. has to realize that those things could be triggers. We don't know how many of those right. bad words or things were said to Logic when he was a kid. Mm. And him being biracial, I know a lot of biracial people, and they got a different struggle because right. they're being told they're not black enough. Mm. Or they're being told, why are you acting black? You barely black, or whatever mm. the case. And right. it's like they go through this shit their whole fucking lives. Mm. Yeah. And and it's and it's crazy. Like and and then even with the, like a Colin Kaepernick who is biracial. Right. Um I've seen comments that say like, uh, "You you were raised by a white family. Why, why are you kneeling?" I've seen people say that like it's like you were ra- <laughs> you were raised by a privileged white family. Why are you oh kneeling? My gosh. And it's like that, and it's just crazy how much, uh, n- not just biracial people, but all kinds of other people, right. like the things they go through and how how traumatizing it can be, and how n- certain things or people can exacerbate or make the situation worse. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think that's what happened with Joe Budden and Logic. Right. Um, and I, I do think logic, he said people, but he might have been talking about himself when he oh, talked sure. about the yeah. suicide thing. Mm. Is, you know, yeah, I, I listened to the album. Anybody who hasn't heard the logic album, go listen to it and you'll start picking up um, what he was saying. Basically mm. saying it's over. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Like it's it's hard for me to even rhyme anymore because I go in a booth questioning everything I'm doing Wow. because I'm being critiqued for everything. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. we talked about it last time about like that, that, and you know, rappers, we always, or not we, but rappers always talk like slick, you know, they may try to flip whatever scenario that some criticism or whatever, or, right. you know, I don't mm-hmm. care, like forget all the haters or all these things, right. and, you right. know, we try to mask that 
as uh, just people um, mask like hate as something we don't care about, but in reality we care because yeah. we're acknowledging it. Mm. So exactly, it's the same right. same thing. It's, it's true. It'll yeah. be somebody to say something very abusive mm. on social media, and at the end they put LOL, and you you act like saying LOL at the end of something very hateful makes it playful or funny when it's not. Right. Yeah. And that's the society right. in a nutshell. This the L O the LOL generation. Oh. That LOL shit would get your ass whooped back in the day. <laughs> no. You say some disrespectful shit and you laugh, now I'm fucking you up. No, I'm, <laughs> it has changed, man. Yeah. yeah. It has changed, man. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, um, like how how when you were eating that much food, mm. like how were you feeling physically? Like do you did, oh. it, is it a point to where you're hungry and you just keep, go- I mean, you're full and then you just keep going or mm. did you just always feel hungry or what, what was yeah, it? Yeah. So it would be, I'd be full and I'd just keep going. Oh my God. But I wouldn't throw it up though. You know? Wow. And so I'd be like, you know, like with the, that, that situation or another situation, like I'll go to Taco Bell, right? And I'd order like, oh, okay. And this is how I would order it. <laughs> Brent McClanahan wants three Brio Supremes. I want two Mexican pizzas. I want three bean burritos. I want four tacos. Now, four tacos. Now, I want two of them to be hard shell tacos, two to be soft shell tacos, okay? I need two sodas, you know, and I need one of them churros. Damn. And so I order like that. And then I'm like, okay, kids, now, what do y'all want? God (laughs) damn. You know what I mean? Like, But I was so, I I, I didn't have love. I felt um, that, you know, I was going through a depressive time because I was actually going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. When I was actually when I moved out here in 2010, uh, I was going through a divorce, and so like me not actually me not being having any kind of sexual like it was just a lot of sexual frustrations I was having because you know I'm like damn like, okay man you know, my wife don't want to be with me no more yeah I don't know nobody out here like that I just move back damn so what I'm gonna do and next thing I know I went downstairs with this mindset thinking like what am I gonna do how am I gonna fulfill this sexual frustration and right then and there I figured it out I'm gonna eat food. And oh literally, God. that was the change that made the reaction that made me want to just start eating like that. I went downstairs and I made myself a whole thing of damn biscuits, okay, from the can, little, you know, little, little, little peeled berry dough, boy, motherfucker, but the eight biscuits on there, put wow. that on the tray, maybe like six eggs, like six pieces of bacon. And then from that moment on, when I made that breakfast, every day after that, that guys, I would man. just, and I'd just be food guys, I'm telling you. Oh my and I'd just God. be sitting there to the point where it'd be like, yeah, I ain't gonna lie to you. I ain't gonna lie to you. I ain't gonna lie to you. I I, I remember one time with, with a little club over there off of Buck Owens back in the day. Yeah, the, it was the Crystal Palace or no? Oh no, no. The one that's like further down the way. Oh, the, replay. Replay, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So replay, I met a chick at replay. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh man, I, oh, I'm just, please, Lord, let me just, please let me pull this one right here because I have been a long time and I need some of that good, good, good. Amen. So, <laughs> so I finally talked to her, hollered at her and everything. She's like, oh, yeah. I was like, hey, look, I want you to come back to my crib. We know we're going to get it on and everything. Okay. And then she came back. I was already tired. She didn't know this. But she said, okay, well, I'm going to make you some breakfast. And I'm like, okay, cool. She made me the breakfast, made me like a big breakfast. She's from the South. Made me a big old breakfast. She was like, okay, you ready? No, I'm not ready, actually. I just really wanted you to make the breakfast. But look, uh, wow. keep, <laughs> look keep, I'm going to keep your number. And then when I want to, you know, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Thank you. You can what? leave now. It, the food was that strong? It was It was that It was that strong. Oh, it my was that God. Strong. That's how, and, it, and, it, and I'm telling you, that is exactly what my mind was thinking. Like, food was better than sex. Oh, my God. It really was. I mean, because, you know, food can't tell you, talk to you crazy. Can't tell you it ain't going to yeah. give you nothing. 
it's gonna give me some all the way down to my belly. You yeah. know what I'm saying too? Wow. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, uh, if we learn anything from this first topic, um, it's the fact that mental illness comes in many different variations, and that you know we should take it seriously. You know, Um, and watch what you say. You know, and Mm -hmm. yeah, especially if you have a platform, don't spew hatred because you don't know what that other person is going through. Somebody might be, you know, saying something not knowing what a person like Brent has been through. So let's uh, let's let's try to. Be mindful. I think the crazy part about Logic's story also is that he has sold out tours and platinum records and huge number one hits. And then he's still just one person, one little Mm -hmm. Joe Budden in the atmosphere is is causing all of this this anxiety and depression. Yeah, but that one person could be reintroducing something that he's been through as a child. Yeah. You know, it's almost like your your wound is about to heal. Somebody comes and rip that fucking scab off. Mm -hmm. So that's something that could have happened. Um, Yeah, man, it's it's pretty fucked up. And, And he mentioned that being rich and, you know, being famous is not what you think it is. And I'm thinking like, all right, says the rich, famous guy. Right. But (laughs) at at the same time, yeah, but but but. Some people actually fucking mean it. Yeah. You know, we can't just pawn him off as the guy that's trying to act like, you know, like like a Drake or somebody. Because you heard right. Drake when he got that when he got that award and he's like, Grammy. get a Grammy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, I'm telling you, man, you know, this this is what did he say? Basically, he said, like, this award don't mean nothing. If you got fans lining up in the rain to come see your shows, if you got, you know, if you sell it, if you got a niche audience, whatever, like, that's mm. more important than this award. Mm. So yeah. That was his idea. Says the guy with the award. Right. Saying, right. <laughs> yeah. He's holding up to everybody else. Look at me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the person that's been busting their ass and they see Drake up there, they're like, man, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you barely, uh, you barely black. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. man. All right, switching gears. Um, recently, there was a woman's empowerment selfie um, challenge that was going around, and basically, there was these black and white photos that women were posting, um, and it just says "challenge accepted." Mm-hmm. It doesn't really give any context to why these are being um, posted, but it's just saying "challenge accepted," and then like somebody will put like "women's empowerment." And then the pictures are going around. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. No, not at all. I'm not saying it is. Um, it's a great thing that women are recognizing women. That's good. But we have to understand that sometimes we can hijack something and dilute it and not give context to it. And I think that's what happened in America. Basically, um, in Turkey, the reason why these photos had started was due to femicide. It was a lot of women being killed. Let me go ahead and uh, reference an article um, that I have here just to give a little more. Let's see here. All right. Where is that? Okay. The original challenge in 2016. Okay. No, it's not that one. Okay. In recent days, Turkish feminists and activists have claimed that the influx of black and white photos was intended to highlight Turkey's concerning femicide rate and the violence Turkish women face in their daily lives. The decolorized filter is a reference to how the media features black and white photos of women who have been found dead in 2019. 474 women were murdered in Turkey by men, according to the women's rights group. We will end femicide and femicides have steadily increased in the past decade. 
So this is a very serious problem, right? right? You got women being killed out here. Mm-hmm. But in America, a lot of American women basically, I don't want to say they hijacked it, but they kind of um, redefine what the photo meant. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens is the, is the message can get lost. Um, I kind of compare this to um, the, the, the whole idea of the swastika. The swastika was not the swastika that we know. Like before it was uh, taken by neo-Nazis, it was a sign of peace. Mm. So they basically took this sign, redefined it and turned it into a sign of hatred. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying this is a like there's a correlation between these two. It's just a comparison. Right. Um, but it basically the meaning was taken away. Mm. Um, and what, what also the problem I'm having is, is when celebrities do this, they have to realize with their platform what they're actually doing. Because people will blindly follow them mm. instead of questioning why they're taking black and white photos. Um, this is why I don't get involved with these fucking challenges on Instagram or social media. Mm-hmm. Because nobody really knows the origin. They just do it. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 black box in the bio. I didn't do that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a black man. You know, right. you know, <laughs> been a black man my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing people put the black box up. And it's like, just because they're putting a black box up, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they like black people. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. It just means you put a black box on Instagram. That's all it yeah. means. Mm. I think we're giving too much power to Instagram also because we're acting like a, a selfie is a form of activism when it's really not. <laughs> right. I think what, what we do in life is the purest form of activism. Um, you know, you want to empower women, do something. A form of empowerment to me would be like Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving just uh, gave, he just uh, pledged. $1.5 million to WNBA uh, players who were affected by COVID-19 oh, wow. or basically did not play in this, uh, the, uh, you know, what's the, the, the bubble that they're in right now. Yeah. Mm. So he donated $1.5 million. So I think that act actively doing something is great. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a whole lot more of that. Well, you know, what I, what I, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, <clears throat> You remember when uh, people were posting that France, like everybody had the France. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> an article that came out, or something that I was reading, that you know a lot of African kids were actually being like you know touched on by like French soldiers, and so yeah, and so you know when I when I was reading this from like you know the article that was from Africa, because at the time I was at CSUB, so I was able to get more articles back then, and so I was sitting there going, hmm. He's saying that, you know, the reason why they did it was because of that happening, because his son was one of the kids that were taken advantage of. Now, we know that um, systematically that these European countries have still been taking away from, you know, Africa like they're doing to, to this day. Right. And so the movement that was supposed to be about, you know, why do they and the question is, I'm not saying that for anyone that passed away during that tragic event was you know and that was very tragic and that's really sad that people had passed away and I and I'm and it's dreadful the thing is is that when I when I read this article it made me think okay so this man's coming from a place where well I felt like it was something that I should have did because my son was involved and so I'm sitting there I was sitting there thinking to myself hmm the message, like you were saying, somehow gets misinterpreted mm-hmm. and people will take it and take it on as their own, but they didn't read the whole story as a mm-hmm. whole. They looked at one part of it, you know. It's like these women are like, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, take a movement. These women are being killed, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and they want to take it and say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's and, you know, in a sense, locally, you know, it's almost like, you know, what, you know, um, Clinica Sierra Vista. Do we know who started Clinica Sierra Vista? I will tell you who started Clinica Sierra Vista. <clears throat> Black people didn't. Oh, why they do that? Well, the government had allotted a bunch of money to blacks um, through uh, the um, federal government had a lot of money to every state during the 60s when all that stuff was jumping off. Right. My grandmother, Christina McClanahan, was one of the front runners out here in Bakersfield during the Democratic, which was part of the Democratic Women of Kern, but a high local uh, you know, resident that lived out here and did a lot in her community. So the Hispanics that came and said, hey, listen, the farmers um, are not giving us insurance. We don't have any insurance, you know. What can we, you know, can you help us? Okay, so they said, okay, we can help you. And so a correlation of blacks went and fought for them to have Clinica Sierra Vista placed in all the local, you know, all around the hood, pretty much, right? So that way farmers could have, you know, and um, couldn't go somewhere to see, get medical attention, but also people, you know, around the area can also get it as well. And the thing is, is that they don't give credit See, the message wasn't was to just, you know, make sure that everybody had insurance altogether, but they don't give credit to the people that started the message. Ah, uh, mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. They just credit mm -hmm. the messengers. Ah, mm -hmm. uh, right? got it. So black people pretty much in a nutshell, if you go to Clinica Sierra Vista's page, you won't see that. Yeah, I looked on there because right. you told me that story and I looked right. on there. And to you'll see. only see, oh, it was started for farm workers, mm -hmm. but it didn't say who started it. Oh, wow. I'm just saying how messages get deterred in yeah. some way. Yeah. You know. And I'm not backing, I want to just make sure, I'm not backing the, the, the African side of the story, and I'm not backing, you know, I think that death is, you know, immoral, and it's insane to think that people think it's okay, it's not, because we only get one life to live, right. and so I don't want that to be anything that people hold against me. I'm just saying, as far as sources go, as far as me doing my research, I found that article to be, you know, this is something different to see how the message can be. You know, it's just with something different from my eyes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um when it comes to the these messages, um yeah, it's it's almost like a follow the leader type thing. 100%. And, and it's unfortunate. Cause right. but but what what happens is it's it it has its pros and cons because you know, even with like Black Lives Matter, I think mm, that right. the, the benefit of it is that we are just the, the the name in itself, we are becoming more aware that more aware that Black lives do matter. Right. But at the same time, like there are people hijacking it and they're looting and rioting and right. stuff like that, and that's not right. really what we came here to do. We right. just came here to spread a message that you know stop killing us and you know we deserve to be treated just like anybody else. Yes. Um, it's just unfortunate, and I I think especially with that because that's an extremely serious situation. Mm. And because people are so ignorant, especially on social media, they do they do zero research. Zero. They only you know they see a headline or they see a hashtag, and then mm. they just they just act on it. Because mm. I was seeing stuff, it was just like girls are posting like just like sexy pictures right, of themselves, right. and they take the saturation right. off, yeah, and they you, thought it was you twerking. Yeah, they thought Challenge it was, it was twerking. No, not really. <laughs> I'm about to say that's really like <laughs> that's like where that one at? Where I didn't see that one. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's but I, I am curious. I hope um, and I wish that, you know, people would do more research because, I, you know, we both we talked about it previously. None of us really knew what 
this was about. You just start to see stuff going. But us being like people that question any and everything, we don't Mm. just act just because you see people doing it. Mm. Um, We're able to, you know, do the do the research and and find out what's really going on. Yeah. I had spent some time looking online to try to find the origin of it. And I was having a problem. And Mm -hmm. the people that were posting articles from reputable sources stating they didn't know why the fuck it was going on. And then I said I I posted something on Instagram and I said, hey, if you find something, can somebody educate me on this? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think at that point, like you can't even be mad at me for having a certain opinion Mm -hmm. until you educate me. And there was a couple of uh, women that had inboxed me and gave me some information, which I was thankful for. And and then I was able to connect it to that. And I said, "Okay, boom, here it is. Yeah. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I I think that we can't what I'm not going to do is say um, American women are to blame for this. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. This the liability should be spread. And the reason why is because the influencers at the top cause these trends to happen. Mm-hmm. You can't really get shit moving unless you're like a John Legend or something like that. Mm-hmm. If, if mm-hmm. Eddie McGee from the Truckers Mind podcast said, I want everybody to put a truck in your bio if you love truck drivers, ain't nobody going to fucking do it. Yeah. They're not going to give a fuck. I don't have a big enough following to do that. But if I was somebody, if I'm if I'm Kevin Hart and I tell people I want everybody to put, you know, uh, a powder blue photo in your bio or whatever, it's going to be a bunch of people doing it just mm-hmm. because they they revere these people so much they'll just do it and not even fucking question it yeah and that's a problem definitely that happens far too often i can't think of a specific one but definitely like a a bunch of celebrities just jump out the window yeah um and 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 just deal with the results of it oh yeah i got one i got one actually the other day i was listening to the donkey today from charlemagne and there was a producer that said something about black lives matter and something else i forgot his name Mm -hmm. but anyways um the dude just was flying off the handle saying a bunch of nonsense and he he deserved the donkey today and uh I guess Charlemagne created like an acronym, I guess. Like, son, he's saying son, but it was like S U N, like shut up, nigga. Like, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, he said, I want everybody to go to his Instagram, and he gave his Instagram handle to the, and then uh, everybody was in the comments, like putting uh, sons, like uh, basically like emojis of a son. Mm-hmm, and right. people, some people was just saying, spelled right, right now, shut up, nigga, you trash, shut up, mm-hmm. you know. And a bunch of people, I'm talking about his comments were so much, you know, how you when you click on it, you get to load more comments, right? I had to keep, same thing, I had to keep loading it, loading yeah. it, loading it. And then it was another, <laughs> yeah, this is what <laughs> this is what influencers do, they have to realize what their power is, right? Then another time. Something that happened with Beyonce oh. and uh, somebody, uh, somebody, I forgot, in not Charlemagne's camp, but somebody Charlemagne knows. He said, I want everybody to go to his bio and put uh put some put the put a B in there for the beehive. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you know how like Beyonce's fans get mm-hmm. mad when you say something. Right. Yeah. So Charlamagne <laughs> was telling people to go to his account and put bees mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the, in the comments. And all you see in there is a bunch of bees all yeah. the way down. I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what it is, is the influence comes up from the top and the people mm. just follow. They don't question it, nothing. They just say, challenge accepted. Yeah. Mm. It's like, okay. Yeah. 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 Such an easy fucking challenge too. I I think, (laughs) I think knowing that, I think knowing that we have to, um, we have to, whoever is, has the power to create these challenges. Cause I guess they do come from somewhere. Right. Um, they have to start maneuvering different so that the, the message doesn't get lost. Right. Yeah. You know, cause it, it happens all the time. And I think, I think one of the good ones and I think, um, I guess probably in the last 10, 11 years was probably um, the MLS challenge. 
ALS. ALS, sorry. ALS. Yeah. That's Major League Soccer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the ALS the Ice ALS Bucket ALS Challenge. Challenge. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think that was one of the ones where um, because the, the nature of it and because it was built so that people, when they do put the ice on them, they felt the same way that the, yeah. the people with ALS did, you know, as far as the, the, the pain thresholds and mm-hmm. whatnot. And, and um, you know, the hashtags and the, the name of it also, yeah. I think it was able to, to keep its message throughout the whole the whole duration. And they raised a bunch of money. Yeah, um, I, I don't know about that. I, I agree overall, but then I disagree also because I feel like um, it was very diluted because it's supposed to be an ice bucket challenge. Yeah. I seen motherfuckers using oh. little itty bitty cups with no ice in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a lot of people were doing that shit without donating, but they did get a lot of money. Yeah, they, I mean, the, yeah. I don't think everyone was supposed to donate, but just the awareness of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there's no perfect way because people are always going to hijack it, but I'm yeah. just saying, as far as the challenges I've seen, whether it's Black Lives Matter and a black square or you know the black and white photo um mm-hmm. i think that's one of the ones that i've seen that's most successful yeah, the one that upset me that i I'm, I'm surprised not enough people really did was the 22 push-up challenge i guess for every 22 men, oh, the, so- the, the service soldiers. service yeah, yeah service mm-hmm. men and women who commit suicide per mm-hmm. day um oh. yeah yeah it's, i believe it's 22 per mm-hmm. day uh, unless I'm, my math's off but it was a 22 push-up challenge and i didn't see a ton i've seen people doing it but I didn't see nearly. There was a great disparity between that and these fucking Drake dance challenges and shit. Oh. Yeah, and it's. I think it's mainly for because motherfuckers can't do pushups. Like when you give people a real challenge, like to do pushups, they get, they don't want to do that. You yeah. know, but you give them a, a donut and be like donut challenge. It's like yeah. you guys are just fucking lazy. Twenty two right. donut challenge. Yeah, twenty two donut challenge. Mm-hmm. Motherfuckers would be having heart attacks on Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was me four hundred pounds ago. It might have been great. Oh, <laughs> they did a forty four challenge. Man. That bro, when I was like, I was like, I was just listening to all the food you were ordering. And that shit fucked me up, man. Oh, I was just dude. like, yo, this that's a family, the shit you wrote in for. Yeah. That's crazy, man. I'm uh, glad that you came over that because uh, you, you've obviously lost a lot of weight. Where are you I at mean, now, man? I'm at uh, 269 right now. That's good, that's man. Cool. Proud yeah. of you, man. I mean, 400, that's a lot of weight. You yeah, know? that's a lot, dude. That's for anybody. Man. Yeah. 400, so, Jesus. I, <laughs> <laughs> man. I, and, <laughs> how'd you keep the weight off? Oh man. Well, you know, I'm gonna just be honest. I went ahead and got surgery. Oh you know, because see, my my back and everything, I really can't work out like everybody else. You know? Oh. And so if I like push a strain or do too much, then it's like it'll go back out, then I gotta oh, have another surgery God. and stuff. And so I really gotta keep myself, you know, cool until June seventh. This motherfucker hit me. Uh, anyway, but you know, for the most part, um, after I got the surgery, you know, they got you on the liquids and everything, then you eating rice and stuff, and then you start to gradually, and then next thing I know, I didn't lose weight as fast as, like, everybody else did. Uh-huh. You know, when you get the um, the bypass surgery, it's like, you see motherfuckers real big, and all of a sudden, they just sure. sag, you know what I mean? Yeah. They just sag down. I wasn't sagging down. I lost weight real slow, but the only thing I can say is that, you know, the when you get cut, some sometimes it you know heals from the in you know the, from the yeah. outside in right. you know and so mm-hmm. the muscle didn't want to uh, actually do what it was supposed to do so when I went to the doctor said hey man my stomach is it's red it's feeling kind of funny you know oh <laughs> you'll be fine come on over here I'm like oh okay he was like yeah. Uh, <clears throat> 
what is this, Doc? I don't understand why my stomach is big and wobble. I mean, I know it wobbles because it's a big stomach, you know, but I'm just like, it's doing extra wobbling. You know, I don't understand this, you know. He's like, oh, just come in. And he called the nurse and says, nurse, bring, bring me my knife. Well, hold up, player. <laughs> what you, what you <laughs> talking about? What you need a knife for? Yeah. What are we about to do? I'm trying to man. teach you like a fucking turkey No, or seriously, man. He wanted to sit there and then get the cutting. I said, you ain't about to gut me, okay? Man, yeah. he came up to me. and said, all right, I'm going to do it on the count of three. One, two, zzz. I said, bitch. And next thing I know, all this pus had formed in there and oh. shot out my stomach I thought it was the aliens. I swear I thought I was about to die. I said, this is it. I'm about to die. It's over. I mean, because you literally see, it just, it's gushing out. So he just lanced it, basically. Lanced it, and uh, it just shot right out. He's oh, like, my God. And he just felt like it was okay to just keep pushing my stomach. Like, I ain't no man. You know? He's just like, <laughs> pushing on me like, you know? Like, <laughs> Fuck. I didn't like that. You know? Mm. You get manhandled with dealing with these doctors and stuff. It's just not good at all. I actually had a prostate check done not when I was big, too. I was 400 pounds when I got this done. Wow. And this doctor was like, okay, you know, he's like, okay, bend over. So I check prostate. I'm like, okay, cool, brother. You know, we can check my prostate. And I said, well, we'll he's like, okay. So I bent over. He going to stick, you know, his finger in my buttocks. Now, you know, my buttocks is sacred. You know, he, <laughs> he did something I know I don't be letting nobody do. And he went up in there and he was literally like, I felt like he was like fucking me because his finger just kept, he kept pushing in there oh, and he, he was, then finally he was like oh you're too fat i'm like what's what? up yeah he's motherfucker told me i was fat man I said, that. I said you ain't right <laughs> talk about me like I mean, that they don't in 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 uh med school that they go to they right. don't they don't really i'm pretty sure they don't teach etiquette right i they think teach no, you how to do the fucking job <laughs> that's i mean <laughs> no parents should teach you yeah. etiquette <laughs> <laughs> It's like oh, a motherfucker. Man. It's like somebody doing a fucking what do you call it colonoscopy. Oh, right. It's like them doing a colonoscopy. They got something in your ass, and they're like, "So how's your day going?" Right. Like, oh, my. not great. You got my asshole. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me tell you this story. So when you have a neurogenic damaged bladder, the way they have to give you the procedure, they have to go in, you know, through your dick um, with a uh, wow a camera and a scope. Now the scope is about, you know, if you guys can see me right now, I'm showing a, like a 10 inch scope. Okay. And it's got to go and it has a needle on the end of it and it's got to go into your dick through it. Now, mind you, oh like, God, before, but you got to get prepped by the nurse. So the nurse is sitting there saying, Oh, um, you know, so she's like, okay, well, we're going to prep. So your dick's all out and everything. And the nurse sitting there talking like, so how's your day going? And he's like, you, your hands on my dick right now. I literally have nothing to say. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. this is an uncomfortable situation. Just fucking do it. Right. Just go ahead and stick the thing in there, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know? And so the doctor comes in there and I'm telling you something, man, that is, that was the most craziest and painful procedure I think I've ever had because right after they was done, you know, they, it's like a wristwatch when it goes in. So it, it, it like kind of like pokes you right. when it goes through your urethra. When you get to your bladder, it, they poke in all this, bo- they inject Botox into your bladder. And oh my so, God, dude. Yeah. So they inject the Botox in there and you see it on the screen. So when they see the poke, you feel it right when they poke. You're like, oh, you know, yeah. and you're just like, oh, this is crazy. How I can, you know, and you see it right on the same screen. It's just mm-hmm. really insane. So when I was coming out of that, what they didn't tell me was that after you pee, you might bleed. And so I went to the restroom and I was bleeding. Oh, I was no. like, I thought I was about to die. So I, now listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. I ain't going to lie to you. I ran butt ass naked through UCLA Medical 
from the bathroom. I think you. I think you want to do that shit, man. No, I'm telling you, I ran the second time. No, no, I know, I know. That was the first time. You know, I'm playing. First time was drugs. The second time, (laughs) (laughs) my dick was bleeding. (laughs) I didn't know why this is happening to me. I went back in there and I said, and I'm walking. I'm telling you, my pants is down, dick all out. I'm talking about bare ass and kids and adults and families and people. I'm like, fuck it. I don't need to go back to care about nobody. I went in there. I said, ma'am. I said, you find the doctor right now. My dick is bleeding. I didn't know why the hell it is not going to do this. So, I, so what is you trying to tell me? Yeah, and it said, fuck. And then she was like, oh, no, that's perfectly fine. Bitch, why did you tell me that for? I left him out here. <laughs> Shut up, man. It's, but it's a very painful procedure. So I, I hope that nobody had to get it. I am, man. God that's, dang. That was, that's, that's, oh, God. That sounds traumatizing. It is. Yeah. Oh, man. Um <laughs> Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I remember I was a little kid. I was getting a shot and uh, I was really scared of shots. Mm. Right. And I was in there with my dad. And I remember he had took a day off because he still had his or I think he left work because he had all his work clothes on and shit. Right. And we're sitting in there and the doctor comes in and he has this big ass fucking needle, like a big ass, huge needle. He's like, all right, we're going to give you a shot now. And then uh, he was like, just playing, just playing. And he got a small, regular needle. And my dad looked at him and he's like, motherfucker, don't do that to my son. (laughs) You know the sad part about both of y'all stories? Is that none of them doctors had American accents? No, they no. didn't. Yeah, no. So like, when we gonna get some American doctors, <laughs> some black doctors at least? God damn! Oh man! Yeah, this, I, yeah, dude. I was about to start crying when he pulled that huge needle out. My dad was like, "Hey, man, what the fuck you doing, <laughs> my son?" I tell you, you know, the, that's the, that bone marrow. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I would say, you know, when, when you say that about the doctors, crazy because yeah, I don't have any black doctors. I never had a black doctor. I've always had. You know the Arab doctors or the mm-hmm. Chinese doctors, you know, and it's funny because my um, the the psychiatrist I had at the time who had prescribed me the wrong medication mm-hmm. had me on um, Seroquel XL, and pretty much that's like a drug to have you sleep like all the damn time. Oh right? fuck! But he would brag about how every fifteen minutes he makes. Oh, he's bragging about his money. Bragging about his money. Every fifteen minutes he makes two hundred fifty dollars a visit, so he gets paid like a G. An hour, you know. Wow. He was sitting there just telling me, "Oh yes, no, don't do." It. <laughs> it's not the problem. But when I tried to explain to him, you know, I was I was in a lot of stuff in 2011. You know, I was hazed and stuff like that. You know, I was raped and everything. So I was sitting there just trying to say, "Hey, you know, um, <clears throat> I've been through a lot." And then he could not express or understand what I was talking about because he didn't have the mindset of an American, really. And I'm saying whatever he had learned from his country, he could not understand how we do things here. Is this an empathy breakdown? That he really didn't, he couldn't, he didn't really um, sense empathy. Yeah, he didn't sense empathy at all. And, he, and so he had prescribed me this pill, and it was actually the wrong pill. So when I go to Cal State, I'd be asleep all day. I was oh in class God. asleep the whole day. And then finally, towards the end of uh, the semester, he finally, oh, excuse me, it was quarters at the time. He goes, um, I went in there one day, I said, man, I'm just, I was, doc, I don't know what's wrong. I'm tired all the time. Oh, I prescribed you the wrong pill. Sorry. That's it? Is all I failed all my classes, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Shit has changed since then, though. A lot yeah. of doctors have been held accountable. What do they call that? Malpractice. Malpractice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, they're getting fucking oh. in trouble for that shit. Oh, good. They just the ones that are that ones that need the good ones. I appreciate, but the yeah. ones that you know. The, the big difference is this, because um, uh, I don't want to stray too far from the topic, but I, no. I will say this: mm. um, jobs like mine, for instance, I'm a truck driver. I mm. haul gasoline, or if you're a police officer. Or whatever the case, or your doctor, 
you don't work at McDonald's. You can't burn a batch of fries and just take it out and get another batch. Right. You're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with people mm-hmm. on a large scale. So honestly, yeah, not only consequences, but there's a sign that I see when I go to a refinery out in Riverside and the sign says perfect is close enough. Mm. Right. And that resonates with me because it's basically saying, you better not fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) You better not fuck up. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm. the truth, man. It's unfortunate what you went through. Um, To reel all this back in, Mm -hmm. um, in regards to any of these um, challenges or movements or whatever the case, I just think that uh, a lot of influencers should be more mindful before they just start doing stuff. Because just because they're celebrities doesn't mean they're any different than any of our friends that we may know that don't even, you know, don't even look into things or research stuff. Yeah. A lot of people will even have opinions before they have knowledge. Right. Which is fucked up. It's like it's like having an opinion about somebody's culture and you haven't done any research on those people. Mm. You haven't had any conversations with those people. But you think. But based on an echo chamber or what you see on the news, that formed your opinion. Mm-hmm. That is not good. Right. That needs. That's got to stop, man. Mm-hmm. That's got to stop. All right. Switching gears. Um, Lou Williams. Uh, Lou Williams is a point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, you know that other team in LA. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just recently, he had an excused. Um, um, uh, uh, not absence, but an ex- excuse leave for leaving the bubble or what they call the NBA bubble out in, uh, what's in Orlando, right? Yeah. Um, basically he left to visit a family member or to his final resting place. And then after that, um, he went over to, uh, magic city. Was it magic city? The stripper spot. Yeah. So he went there to get some wings <laughs> and I, supposedly they have, you know, notable chicken wings there. Um, and he's you know supposed to be social distancing from the strippers and whatnot and waiting on the wings. I just think it's one it's one hell of a place to go when you're coming back. I, I personally I don't like strip clubs at all. Uh, I don't like strip clubs. I don't like watching women naked and paying them money for being naked. I think that strip clubs is lit. I I, I love I, I don't love it, but you know I don't like them at all. I, I rather consciously I, I do. I don't. I rather be. <laughs> I feel like it's it's better. It's a better interaction to be with a date with a woman than yeah. being in a strip club. Like I'd rather spend money on a woman on a date and actually have a conversation, and I don't have to see her naked mm, until yeah. late, until later. But I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me and Brent, though. I'm about to say, yeah. <laughs> boy, I'm about to tell you right now. That boy with the Mecca, he went to Mecca out there. He he went to he, he was, was in Atlanta. Yeah, he's in, in Atlanta. Said, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's, well, no, no, no. He was in he's in Orlando. No, he's in. Oh, Atlanta. he was in Atlanta yeah, when it happened. Oh, so he, oh okay. that's the that's yeah. the the one strip club I heard you supposed to go to before you you, you leave this earth. That's what I heard. That's oh, wow. But I heard because the chicken is really good. Yeah, that's I heard. I've been I hearing about that too. Yeah. yeah. They supposedly he has a, 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 a wings named after him. after him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's oh. like a lemon pepper and barbecue like mixed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I have heard about the wings. They're notable, literally notable wings because yeah. uh, Rick Ross talked about it too. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, eating chicken and looking at ass. This is like. I, <laughs> But the real problem is, like, supposedly he he uh, he went there um, to get the wings, and right. you know that he, there's no harm in getting wings from a strip club, especially no, if right. you you went in there, you grabbed your food, and you left. Right. The real problem is um, just that just came about was that one of the dancers basically um, had a rebuttal for his story because he said he went in there and you know no harm no foul, he went in there got his food and dipped, and he wasn't lingering around or anything. 
He came on Twitter and he was saying, you know, ask anybody. That's my favorite spot to eat and stuff like that. And then the girl came out and was like, no, nah, like, you know, I, I, he came in there. He was hanging around, walking around. I gave him a social distancing dance. Um, she basically she shook her ass six feet away from him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tipped her and then he dipped. Oh, no. So that's the real problem. I'm trying to get down to what the real what the real story is, because right. if that if that's the case, if he actually went in there and he would literally jeopardize his team and right. his, his team season right. just to see a girl strip that's ridiculous yeah, that's that's stupid uh, yeah, at the end of the day if you're a professional especially in a in a sport um right. the the only issue with it is is you know the blessing is that you're being paid to play the sport that you love but the unfortunate thing is is you have you don't have a sense of professionalism all, like a lot of athletes don't because they get paid to a lot of money to play the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. They haven't had to work regular jobs or be in the regular society. So if you go from, let's say, for example, you're 18, 17, you're a great basketball player. Um, you, you're just not working. All you do is playing basketball. Then you go to college and, you know, people kissing your ass over there. Mm-hmm. Now you go to the NBA and you're making a shitload of money and you're getting paid money and people still kissing your ass, you don't see the error of your own ways. You're just going to be like, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm Lou Williams, I'm whoever, I want some wings while I look at these titties, and and that's it. Mm -hmm. But the problem with it is is that, I mean, if if you have a whole team and they have families, you don't want to bring COVID-19 to them. Mm. Right. Yeah, no, I agree agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. I I was going to say that, uh, you know, when I, uh, you know, and I, and I don't frequently, you know, visit strip clubs like I used to. Right. You know, I'm a, you know, haven't really reformed, but you know, <laughs> you're you know, working I, I'm working on myself every day. Okay. <laughs> but one thing I, I did do, you know, um, in 2011, uh, I was uh, with some, I used to live with some escorts. And when I was living with them, this was because I was homeless at the time. I didn't have anybody that was, you know, on my side. And so, um, <clears throat> You know, one of the things that while I was homeless was that I found these young ladies and well, actually they found me and they offered me to stay with them because something I guess in my eyes told one of them that I was a good person. I don't know. So one thing I learned about them was that they wanted to talk about just their life. And I got really intrigued with it. And I said, well, you know, does this happen all the time? You know, where y'all just be at the clubs and you just want to have people to talk to or is it kind of like, you know, and so they're like, oh, you know, just, well, you know, yeah, it'd be better to just, you know, get a dance and talk and just have a conversation and not be hit on and trying to have sex with or trying to do something with them, you know? And so what I, what I would do when I go to strip club is really like, I would find a stripper and I would really like, all right, look, I want to know about you. What's your story? And a lot of them would be like, oh, I'll tell you. And they just tell me their story. And I'm sitting there just talking and having a good time. And I don't know if it's because of that mental that hit me back then when I was living with them, but it just hasn't really left the mm-hmm. con- as far as the conversations go. Now, I won't say that I, I, I don't go in there trying to spend a whole bunch of money, no. Right. But I do like to know like people's stories and stuff like that. What, what's that? Were you running into similar stories? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of similar stories. Oh, We're wow. all the same. You know, the single, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the stripper that comes to the club and has a child and is there trying to make money for the baby. And then you don't have the money. You know, you don't have something for the diaper. You don't have diapers. You don't have food. You know, this man's trying to offer you some money. Should you sell yourself short or should you just work your way all the way to the end? 
you know, and a lot of the women's stories were similar, the same. A lot of them were, you know, been in like abusive, had abusive childhoods, yeah. you know, and I learned that a lot of that. I was like, that plays a factor. I know that has played a factor in my life, you know, my, in my journey. And so those would be the, one of the main reasons why I usually, so, you know, the, the sister that was telling, I mean, I'm glad she told the truth because, you know, like you were saying, Keith, you know, and as far as athletes go, yeah, because my father, you know, my father played professional football. You know, you you have a have a certain, you have to have a certain loyalty, you know, to your team. Because mm-hmm. when he was playing back in the day, you know, back in, when he was playing pro ball for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, you know, there were protocols. There were just you had to back then in those sixties, seventies, like it wasn't really an option. And then they weren't getting paid as much. You know, my nah. dad's, you know, his first starting year was twelve thousand. Yeah, people would think, oh, you know, he, my dad didn't make no money. Yeah. he made more money working at the oil fields on the off season than he did in the NFL. Yeah. So those, those are the guys that paved the way for these athletes to make all the money they make now. Right. And so when yeah. they're sitting there asking, Oh, you know, can I, you know, can we get that kickback that you guys have making? Cause the NFL <clears throat> makes 600 billion a year. Patrick Mahomes just got a crazy 502 contract. million. Yeah. He, you know, he's part owner of the, uh, uh, KC Royals now, right? Really? No, I didn't know he's that. part owner. If you Google it, anybody that listen to this, go to Google and look up the story. This guy is part owner of the KC Royals. Wow. Fucking crazy. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. But I just say, like, there's so much money out there to have kick, to kick back to this older generation of guys that played with leather helmets or the guys that made the game with no rules intact. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, my dad could tell you stories of times of him breaking his nose or breaking his knee or, you know, you know, having to dislocate his eye popping out of his socket or, mm. you know, his ear, you know, just draining with blood. Or one time he got hit so hard, he said he couldn't hear for three days. Damn. Know? And so I'm just saying, like, you know, he really went through it, you know. So for them to be like, oh, well, right now they had the 88 plan for the players. And I don't mean to stray, but I'm just I want to get this out. So uh-huh. the 88 plan is pretty much uh, the kickback that the NFL does for all the retired players. Exactly. And so, mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like a pension almost. Yeah. Almost like a pension. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they, they kick it back. But then at the same time, if you don't follow certain regulations to, you know, be able to re- before you're able to receive it, you have to be approved. And so if you're not if you don't meet the requirements or the approvals, a lot of these older guys are not getting the benefits. You oh, know? no. Yeah. They're not getting the benefits. And then a lot of a lot of the NFL players that are older, a lot of them are homeless. Yeah, they know? are. Yeah. And so it's just like, you know, the NFL, like you took a lot from these guys. Right. The least you can do to your old gladiators is, you know, say thank you for making the game and, you know, give it back. Now, mm-hmm. I will say, you know, they do help. They do have someone that comes to help my dad. That's good. You know, and then he That's takes good. care of him like every day and I yeah. go check on him every day. But I feel like, you know, his loyalty to the game, his loyalty that he had for the Minnesota Vikings for the years that he played Damn. was he he would not he was never distrust or disloyal to you know and so for these younger generation of guys that are coming like what he did is like you know you got to make that decision like you know what you're going to how many chicken spots they got in Atlanta before right. you get to the, the mad you know the right. mac over there man right. yeah. right. there's a drive through like you can, you, go to. you can go to KFC yeah. I don't yeah. know what they got out there but they got something black yeah. that tastes good right <laughs> you know yeah so yeah. yeah to narrow it down it's basically like it's it's kind of a cop out for right. this guy yeah. what he's doing no for real yeah, yeah. but I think that's like what separates like the generation your pops is from and these younger guys right. Lou Will is not a young guy in the NBA but he is a young guy yeah um, it's just you know I'm sure he put the team above anything right, so yeah and in, in turn yeah you you there's a price you pay for that right. that that type of loyalty but 
you know, that's just kind of the separation between these different well, millenniums. Yes. And the price you pay is, is like my dad now, he's dementia, you know, he's, he has CTE, you yeah. know, he had 22 concussions. He's had over 30 surgeries, you know, and it's just like, you know, his body is deteriorating. But if you would have seen the guys he was going up against, you'd be like, damn, like, this is just insane. The yeah. messed up thing about CTE is they can't um, basically diagnose you with it until right. you pass because right. they're able to take your brain. But let's be honest here. Right. Okay. Let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> a lot of players, especially from that time that suffered those concussions, a mm -hmm. lot of them that do have dementia and have problems. Like you look at a guy like Muhammad Ali, for example, oh, before he had passed and right. he was just really just shaking a lot. What was that? What, what, what did he say? Was that not Parkinson's? Was it? Yeah. Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Yeah. But, and I don't know if something can trigger that. Right. So I'm, I'm not a scientist, but when you see guys having, um, Medical conditions that are comparable to like a Muhammad Ali, right? It's just really hard I mean, to we watch. See it. You see, um, uh, Roy Jones Jr. You have these lapses when he's doing these comment, you know, commentating on like little blank stuff. spots. Yeah, and now he about to fight Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be way worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. You thought them blank uh, spots are bad. Now, Mike mm -hmm. uh, Iron Mike about to Mike gonna be yeah. spitting all over. <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was over? Like, you, you thought with your game? <laughs> I'm gonna get you. <laughs> Imagine somebody beating you up and spitting on you. You're like, God damn. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh yeah. my goodness. Mm -hmm. This guy's doubling down on whooping my ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's interesting about, about your dad. And obviously, like I, I haven't I never had a concussion, at least not right. that I know of, maybe like a small a small one or something, but um there's a certain there's a certain amount of like there was a certain pressure that I always felt to um when i was playing football just to be present right you got to go to practice every day oh, man. you got to play every single game if you got a nick you know i dislocated it and this is not by any means compared to like some of the stuff as far as a oh no no socket or whatever your right. eyeball popping out but like right. just the pressure like i dislocated my pinky and then i i played the the we had a seven on seven tournament like mm. the that that night of and i still played so it's just like this pressure from coaches and your teammates and everybody to right. constantly be out there and right. i don't know if that's I, I don't think that's the best thing in the world but right. that's like i can understand how your pops yeah. is just always trying to be present yeah, yeah. And you know, in the and it, that was that was a, a learned behavior he had gotten from my grandfather. Oh and, yeah. And and you know, my grandfather was a Kern County sheriff. You know, mm -hmm. and he was the, the third black sheriff in Kern County. Mm -hmm. You know, and he was also the first black lifeguard. And mm -hmm. so, one of the amazing things about him is that Jack Frost came out, and Jack Frost was, had all all the teams were white. Yeah. And so, my grandfather, uh, Captain Matlock, who was also part of the Kern oh, County yeah. sheriff, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, him. And um, not not the young one, the, the old. The old, oh, the old, okay. yeah. I know, so, I know of the younger one. Young, okay. okay, yeah. It was, it was like the, the, so his son, or I forget what the relationship there, but no, you're right. Yeah. So um, him, my grandfather, and another, uh, actually three of them were, all three of the sheriffs that were there, all three black sheriffs, went out into the community. And this is the thing I was talking about. I was talking to somebody the other day about black masculinity and the black men that played a, a, a great role in, you know, helping just not their community and not just people that look like them, but just everybody just in that community, Asians, yeah, right. you know, the whites that they didn't accept, the Irish, you know, mm -hmm. and some of the Germans, you know. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> he was he was like, you know what? He went to Jack Frost, said, you know what? Y'all need to have another team. So y'all need to have you know, a team for the neighborhood that we're coming from, because at the time 
the reason why they want to do it is because, well, one, obviously, race was a, a factor. Right. But the other one was that, you know, they did not like the fact that my grandfather was so, you know, because he was part of the uh, Kern County Sheriff's, one of the things they didn't like was the fact that he also was trying to bring Hispanics into the fold. And see, they didn't like that because my grandfather spoke fluent Spanish. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he learned Spanish in six months, you know, by working the Greenfield beat at the time because no, there were only white officers and the only three blacks. And he was the only one that was able like, you know what, if I'm a police community, at least I'm going to learn the language. Yeah. Okay. Right. And he had no problem with that. So when he started that team, when my daddy was on that team, <laughs> he said, this is how it's going to go. If you are not as advanced as you need to be, you will learn this one thing every day of practice until you get it right. And when you get that right, that's when you get to move on. You know, very stern, very strict, didn't take no lip, none of that. These cats today don't understand. My daddy sacrificed everything. And let me tell you the vocal point, what I feel like is what's going on today with these kids. This Fortnite, right? Okay. All these games and stuff like that that's like blocking that mind. My my father, one of the reasons that, that he had to realize my grandfather gave him a choice. And this is like what every you know, young man should do. Even my son has this, he struggles with this too, because he wants to play Fortnite all the time. And I and my grandfather said, Look, I'm gonna make you a man. You see, because my daddy ran off on him during one of the practices. He said, You know what? This is what I'm gonna do. You don't wanna play football, you don't wanna show that you wanna be a man. How about this? He took all my father's collected collection of comic books from the time he was like, and I'm talking about my daddy's born in fifty one. So from fifty five to like sixty Two sixty three, took them all in the barrel, put gasoline all mm. over them, and said, "You gonna choose today," and lit them all on fire. And oh, from wow. that moment forward, that's what made my dad determine like you would back. never yeah. turn back at all. That was oh, like, wow. that's what I'm gonna do. Period. And he went through that, and he, when he got to South High, it was the same thing. I think y'all was talking about this with Chris Flail. You was talking about the the flag. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and many people don't know that there was a riot back in sixty eight. The riot, the fall of 68, there was a riot over the Confederate flag. Uh, and it, actually, it even had the FBI's attention. That's how crazy it got. And so um, they did not want that rebel flag coming down. David Whitefields was like, no, 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 no. That were supporting it, said they didn't want their flag to be removed because it's a symbolism that belongs to them and that they want it to continue because a lot of those Southerners came over here, you know. And so... It's really sad to say that um, what ended up happening was that there was obviously the clash because the black students were like, no, we don't, we're not about to, you know, they already took a Martin, they took Malcolm, like we're not about to have more. The riots was going on, mm-hmm. you know, and so finally it came down to pretty much a big old split and what brought that high school together during that time, they, they removed the flag because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's just like so many different um, issues that play you know just a student's learning like how can i learn when the the color guard all were in confederate flag uniforms like they mm-hmm. have full out confederate flag uniform i think one of y'all has said it and they were also going there into the gym with confederate flags flagging around it's way, you man. know yeah well so much the 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 basically the confederate flag uniform is it didn't have the confederate flag on it it's really diluted but it has the same type of get up that they used right. in uh the in the in the in the army or the right. confederate the confederate soldiers had right um but yeah, let's reel it back in, man. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to make a long story short, yeah. Um, in regards to this situation, I just think you have more a more responsibility to make better choices that um, consider your teammates. Um, so with Lou Williams, I'm not going to chastise him for what he did, but I'm also going to be like, dude, you knew what the fuck you're doing. 
Yeah. You know, there's no there's no reason for that. True, and what, what Kendrick Perkins did is he compared um, Lou Williams, his uh, his trip to um, Zion Williamson. And they were saying, you know, Zion had a similar situation, but he came and went and yeah. you didn't you didn't hear a word from him. But I mean, but we 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 all know this. Your maturity has nothing to do with your age. Mm, so somebody like Zion is potentially maybe more mature than Lou Will. Yeah, you never know. So you right. never know. Yeah, that's a right. good point. Uh, all right, switching gears. Um, recently, um, the president um, he had a this is like a basically a little conference with the family of Vanessa Ginn. If you don't know who that is, she is the soldier that ended up being murdered from uh, Fort Hood. Um, it was uh, just a tragedy. Just a, her- a terrible situation. Mm. Um, and for the longest, I've seen people talk about you know the president needs to you know bring attention to this, right? And, you know, I felt the same way just because it was just a travesty, not to mention there are many there are multiple soldiers or multiple remains of people uh, in Fort Hood that they've been finding. Mm-hmm. So uh, recently, the president uh, had the conference with her mother and family. And then I seen the comments from people basically saying, oh, he's just doing this because uh, it's an election year and or he's just doing this for, you know, doing it for clout or he's just trying to do this to get Hispanic votes, whatever the case. Right. Now, here's my problem, right? I'm, I don't, I'm not a fan of Trump at all, but here's the deal. When somebody does something that's decent, I'm going to go give them credit for it. And in this case, I'm not so hell-bent on disagreeing with the president that I'm not going to notice when he does something decent. Mm. There can be a person that is not a great person, but they still can do great things. I'm sure there are people that will disagree with me across the board and say, our president is a great president. What are you talking about? And I don't have to feel the way you feel. We can objectively disagree. Um, However, I'm not going to chastise him for doing something good. I think that bringing attention to something while sitting in the highest seat in America is important. So there's no reason to really like be mad about him giving attention to something that we've all wanted to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing about it, too, is it starts it says more about us because have you ever went to somebody who was like for Keith and you, for example, have you ever seen somebody who's extremely right wing or left wing? And if they're left wing, they just post about how stupid Trump is all day. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they post about just political stuff all day on their page Mm -hmm. or if right wing people, they post about how much they love them and how stupid the Democrats are. You see it all day. Right. Yeah. But how often do you see each party say anything bad about themselves Mm -hmm. or their party? They never do it. They're not objective. You never hear liberals really saying, how stupid a lot of, you know, things that people on the left do. You don't see it that much. You don't see a lot of people on the right talking about how stupid a lot of things Trump says or what people do on the right, because people are so hell bent on pushing an agenda that they don't see um, the something decent or something good in someone else. Mm. So my biggest problem I'm having is it's more about the message instead of the messenger. Um, the message is that he's brought attention to something that's needed fucking attention, period. Yeah. You know? Right. My 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 thing is um I think I think you're right. But what if um but what if he actually did do it just to get the votes for, you know, Hispanic Mexican people? Does it matter? Like I think at the end of the day it's about the message. Mm. Like we don't we'll never we're never gonna know. It's just like the motherfucker that will go to a homeless person and get his phone out and say, Hey, look, y'all, I'm giving a homeless dude a sandwich. God bless you, dog. Right. And you're like, look at this fucking dipshit. But at the end of the day, he still gave that sandwich to a homeless person that needed something to eat. 
Right. So that's the that's the viewpoint that I'm looking at it. It's mm. basically I'm looking at the deed. Yeah. I'm not looking at the person, even if the person's full of shit and I see it all the time. And I'm like, all right, dude, this is like the fifth fucking person that just homeless that you had to take a picture of and give him a sandwich. We get it, bro. <laughs> you want people to think you're a good person. Fine. Yeah. Right. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think there's something to that though, and I didn't see all the comments, so I can't I can't really say. But yeah, I think if you are coming from a place, it's it's just like um, if uh, if somebody is you know trying to donate to the black community, and then which is a good you know which which is always good. Maybe they're giving money to black businesses or something like that. Right. And then you come to find out more about it and then you realize like they were just doing it for a tax write off. Right. You know, how, however, you know, the, the, the deed is good, but right. At, you, you do feel some type of way about it. It's just like mm-hmm. um, and so I can see why. Obviously, it's a good thing that he did with the whole paying for the funeral and all these things. But, right. Right. Um, I could understand like people kind of feeling uh, uneasy about the situation, especially knowing that he's disrespected Mexicans for, you know, yeah, is yeah. basically his full term. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it definitely, man. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, <clears throat> I can, I, I agree. I can see how you know the act could play out and making it seem like you know, because when I okay, so when I think of him and I and I and I think of his past before he was president, before he thought about being president, and all the things that he did prior to. I knew that he was the way he was, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, if, I mean, if he doesn't act like that, which, like you said, it didn't need to be addressed, and it was out of a place of, I don't know what place it came out of, and maybe it didn't come out of anything, but it's just the fact that, like you said, it needed to be addressed, and it was. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, man. And look, at the end of the day, like, what are we going to say if all of a sudden next week the president is like, you know, we need to hold the people accountable for the death of Breonna Taylor. Mm. Are we still going to say, oh, he just doing this to get the black vote now, right? We can say that, right? We don't have anything. It's basically anecdotes. It's not anything mm. legit to prove that he's doing it. And it may come off as ingenuine or whatever, but at the end of the day, he's still putting the spotlight on something, mm. something that's significant, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. I, I just The reason why I brought this up is because we don't need to be so hell-bent on hating someone mm. that we don't see the deed. Even if it's from a person that we may not like, we have to see the deed. Mm. And then, look, what if he's doing this if it's coming from a good place, actually? Right. What if it's coming from a good place? I'm just saying, what if? I think we're quicker to uh, assume it's coming from a bad place, mm. but we can't quantify either things. Right. My thing is, though, is that he has a history of doing things that are contrary to all of whatever the good thing is. You right. know, if it's, you know, if it's um, trying to bring awareness to, you know, the people that murdered Breonna Taylor. Right. But also he's like, we're trying to if if they're looting, we're shooting. Mm. Of course. So it's like 100 percent. It's 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 that in these situations, it's 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 different because. Mm. He's he's like contradicted himself in so many levels. If 100%. it's if it's something else that he's doing as far as like 
um, for the economy or whatever. It's it's easier to be objective about those, but right. it's difficult to be objective about something where he, you know, if if yesterday he called me a nigga and today he's giving me, you know, a stimulus check. It's like how am I? It's like I, I still, I, I, you know, I, my memory's not that bad, you right? Know? So right. Yeah. Yeah, you still gonna get that check though? <laughs> Go right down to the outlet and get some Nikes uh, with some baby Jordans. Yeah, I forgot who it was, man. Um, but they signed the fair housing act uh-huh. um and they were uh, considered to be very racist sometimes remember who it was was it lyndon b johnson i can't remember but to make a long story short um at the end of the day we can all have an opinion about it mm-hmm. um but i'm just looking at the deed i'm not even looking at the person yeah i mm-hmm. think it's a great thing yeah it is but it's still trump though <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. We just have to learn as as a collaborative because the reason why I also talked about this, too, is because for eight years, I watched people on the right complain about Obama for eight years, mm. for eight straight years, saying all this hateful stuff and whatnot. And it doesn't matter what good he did. They still found a way to take from it. He could be doing a handshake with his wife and they calling him. It's a terrorist fist right. bump and right. all this extra nonsense. Right? right. And I think that there's a lot of that on the left also. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I refuse to subscribe to this idea that even if somebody does something good, that I'm going to find the bad in what they did. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Especially if I don't have concrete evidence that it was something bad. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll choose to. Uh, take the high road there. Mm. Those uh, people, <laughs> I seen a sign that said something crazy like Obama hates white people. It's like, oh, no, okay, man, came Maybe. out of a white vagina, <laughs> right? I was about to say, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do your history, <laughs> yeah, no research. It is what it is, though, man. I think people that you have to re- you have to remember, people are victims of the twenty four hour news cycle. So whatever they and I've mentioned this many times that people do not watch the news for information. They watch it for affirmation. Mm. So whatever they watch, they already know what's going to be on the fucking screen. They know it's going to be some anti liberal uh, agenda stuff. They know it's going to be pro Trump. They know everything. So everybody that watches Fox News that probably happens to listen to this podcast or anybody that's liberal that watches MSNBC slash CNN, you know exactly what you're going to watch. And it's fucked up. It's like watching Fast and Furious. You know, you're going to watch cars running in the shit. Mm -hmm. You know what you're going to watch. But I I think that people, um, I gave an example. I was talking about this on Instagram. But um, people, if if you told somebody they could only eat a Raisin Cane's the rest of their life, they'd be like, fuck no. I'm not eating that crap. Not every day of my life. Right. right? We want a variety in food. Right. But why don't we want a variety in information? Mm. So we will we will subscribe to Fox and watch only Fox because it's the truth and it's right wing propaganda. Right. We, we'll watch only MSNBC or CNN, mm-hmm. but we don't want a variety of opinions. Mm. And we rather argue with people without even knowing anything about them. It's right. just weird, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just agenda pushing. You got to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, switching gears. A J. Cole taking a shot at the NBA. Um J. Cole just had a video recently that surfaced. Uh, and I think it was uh, Master P was doing a narration, correct? Yeah, it's a, commer- it's, uh, a commercial for his, his, his sneaker that just came out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, who's uh, J. Cole's? Yeah, J. Cole's. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah. Oh. yeah, so they're doing narration. It was like him doing a narration, and it showed J. Cole just 
taking a bunch of shots and he was sinking these shots. He, he, he had like, what, like seven? I don't know how many. He was just hitting yeah. all of them. It was ridiculous. Buckets? Yeah, mm-hmm. this, but, and he wasn't hitting them in one spot. This motherfucker oh, was running moving, around. Running all they over. They're not even touching in the rim. No, what? No, they're not even touching the rim, backboard, nothing. It was all fucking going in. <laughs> yeah, I was like, God damn, J. Cole. <laughs> yeah. So uh, apparently he's taking a shot at the NBA, and I, I think there's you're gonna have a lot of people that say things like like he's pretty good at hoop, but like not NBA good, and it's like right. you don't know what this man has been doing. You need to be careful. You should never put a ceiling on anybody's dreams. Mm. Don't do that. Yeah. He, it, this is what I don't like about like Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless will be like, he will never be able to achieve. And it's like, stop, buddy. Stop right there. <laughs> yeah. You can never say what another grown man or woman mm. is going to not do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what someone's capable of. You, you know what's in, and I don't want to straight my bad. I don't want to straight from the topic, but I wonder if people f- like if there's a comparable situation in, in sports for so Joe Budden and logic versus mm-hmm. like Skip Bayless and. Kawhi Leonard or Skip Bayless and LeBron James like I don't know you know what goes on behind closed doors but the same stuff like the kind of stuff that Skip Bayless says about Mm -hmm. certain athletes could be comparable to what Joe Budden said that's a good point mm -hmm. especially LeBron James yeah is his his critique of LeBron is this is the funny thing (laughs) Skip Bayless's critique of LeBron is overboard but so is Shannon Sharp's love of LeBron yeah. is overboard. Yeah. I'll be thinking like, dude, like I know you love LeBron, it's cool, but one day I think he's gonna be like, shoot, LeBron looking thicker than me. <laughs> 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 like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Come on, yeah. <laughs> Yo, go James. Uh, go James. LeBron, <laughs> Le- LeBron James. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, oh, little bit much, man. Right. Funny. Oh, right, man. man. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you finish. Yeah, go ahead, man. Oh, <laughs> so um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, from the way I look at it is, you know, I feel like when you have a lot of gifts and you have a lot of talents, and people push you a certain way, you can't really be able to, you know, use your talents like you would like to because they're not pushing you like that. Mm-hmm. I remember like, and this goes back to just being young, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I always wanted to push to do like comedy and stuff and just like dance and everything. But I remember being laughed at, you know, and made man fun of. So now I was like, I'm going to just play football because that's, you know, what I'm going to do. It's just easier. But, right. It's just easier. Mm-hmm. So it came to me naturally. And then I couldn't do, you know, I couldn't do football no more, but it's, I didn't, I, I'm great at it, but I just didn't. How long did you play? It. I played all the way up. I, I actually uh, we got a scholarship to go to UNLV. Then I didn't take it because I actually had my lung collapse that year because mm-hmm. I had I had like a allergic reaction to grass. I didn't even know I was allergic. what. Yeah, bro, your, it was crazy. Like, was your backer or uh, what, what position did you play? Oh man, I was. Um, well, sometimes they throw me in the backfield, just run, you know, brothers over. But mainly, I run brothers over. over, man. <laughs> no, had me right there, nose guard, baby. I'd be over there, just the me and the quarterback every time. You, you weren't all that big then, was you? Mm-mm, I wasn't, and I was still blowing through. How much did you weigh then? I was like, I would say I was a good side, like 180. Oh, my God. And I was blowing through. I was, I'm so serious. Me, Nate, Neil, and, uh, man, a bunch of other cats, man. We was out there. Samoan cat, too. Herman Scanlon. We was out there getting it. You was out there a year with, uh, I'm trying to think. You was there with Eric? 
Yep. Him. Eric yep. Alfred. Then. Eric Alfred. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Alfred's <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that guy in years, man. Man, that dude is funny. Yeah. He's funny. <laughs> but, but I will say, you know, I mean, you should never sleep on anybody. And I right. really feel like oh, yeah. a lot of cats slept on me for a long time. And then when I finally resurfaced, you know, with this comedy thing, it's like, oh, snap, you know, mm-hmm. like, bring out something you ain't trying to really say now. Yeah, I've yeah. seen your stand-up, man. You're yeah. pretty funny. So, I, I, I seen it, you on, uh, there was the the Black History, uh, that that deal, well, I forgot when it was, but it wasn't too long ago, the Black History comedy show. Oh, yes. Yeah. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> that was a really good job. Yeah. Oh, Everybody out there. Yeah, Brent, you did a great job. Oh, thank yeah. you, man. Yeah, I, I was the one that. laughing the most loud, <laughs> awkwardly towards the front of the room. Blew that cow up, man? You thought that? Huh? When I blew the cow up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, that Emerson, jokes, man. man. They didn't know I was about to say that. Boy, they yeah. was like real quiet. That was yeah, really that cool. shut the crowd down. That was the last great like uh, get together before COVID. Yeah. yeah I'm was, sure we was all up in there having COVID-19 and shit. <laughs> Just passing it we around. Was having, we was having a, a Black History COVID-19. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it just kind of show you how talented brothers can really be. Like, you yeah. have so many talents and you may only pick one, but now it's like he had a platform. It's like, why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? That's, that's, where, cool, I, that's where I'm at. I feel like, especially now where we're seeing so many like Renaissance men, I don't want to say men because mm-hmm. people, um, but Renaissance people, you know, it's people that's acting, people that's producing, people that's making music, people mm-hmm. that's, you know, doing all kind of stuff. And um, mm-hmm. I think for him, and also like if you, I don't know how many albums he has, but if you've been rapping since, you know, 2010, right. um, you 10 years in the game making music, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you you kind of get tired of making music, you know what I mean? And, and also he, like he, his, his, um, his first album is called The Sideline Story. His right. you know, his mixtape was called Friday Night Light. So that sports was always like yeah. you know, an influence in, in the in the music. So mm. and there's a there's a little story he wrote. I didn't get to finish it, but it was uh, in the Players Tribune right. and it was basically about how he had to make a decision um, between rapping and, and playing hoop cuz he mm. went to St. John's and he was tr- he was going to walk on to the team. He was doing pretty good and he made it to he made it through a few few of the um, the tryouts, and then when it came time to go to like the last tryout, mm. he ended up sleeping in. He oh. just he just chose not to go, and then uh. he ended up pursuing rap. And oh wow! In turn, he's like that's now a great, you know it's a great choice. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think what's more what's awesome too is me and J Cole the same man. So J Cole's thirty five, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people discount him too because. Uh, hoop is supposed to be a young man's game. You know, usually these sports are your, a young man's game. Mm-hmm. 28, 28, uh, 27 is considered, I say 28 is considered like old, I guess. But you have to factor in that J. Cole ain't been beat down by the NBA mm. or by a sport. Right, so he's yeah. some fresh legs out there. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Right. We'll see how that goes. I'm just, I'm proud of him to taking a shot at something. Yeah. You know, yeah. because of most people don't. Some people yeah. just, I know when I'm, when I first got on stage, when I did comedy, that kind of mm-hmm. influenced other people to go up there and try it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think we just, you know, what we and and I learned just recently, like you don't want to be forty years old living with any sort of regret. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Man, I should have, right. I should have tried to write a screenplay. I should have got yeah. on stage. I should have had time. that orgy. I should, yeah. I should have yeah. had that food gasm. Chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> And Brent was having threesomes yeah, with Big yeah. Mac. That, you know, it was foursomes. It was oh, pies, man. baby. Oh, man. When he told me how many Big Macs he had, <laughs> shit, I had a fucking food gasm. 
Oh, man. Like, this McDonald's food just bloats me up so much. Oh, I don't know how you made it, man. Oh, man, I'm telling yeah. you. Man, I had just... And you know what's crazy is like when you're that big, like having to use a restroom is just such a bitch, bro. Why do you say that? Because you gotta lift your stomach up to take a piss. Well, it's like you know what I mean, like holding your stomach all the way up like this here, and you gotta lean back too, you know. And it's like damn, because you piss on your, you might piss on your belly button. All right, well we're gonna (laughs) go ahead and move on from this. Use your belly button as a urinal. What the heck? God damn, it's crazy, man. How 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 long how low your belly can hang. Wow. <laughs> I'm learning a lot of shit today. I just want to say, like, to, to all the listeners out there, um, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but I think I think essentially what J. Cole is doing is he's making good on uh on a on an idea he had many, many years ago. Right. So last week I talked about how um my mom was really good at sewing and you know right. now she's right. you know during the coronavirus everybody's at home anyway so she started picking up the sewing machine and stuff mm-hmm. again but I think for anybody out there if you had a dream sports is a little <laughs> bit different because you know there's there's a gap and he's probably only able to do it because he's he's at a certain status like he's right. you know right. he's 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 able to get in those pickup games with you know with uh freaking CJ McCollum and all, right, these, exactly. and all these other players just because he's J Cole, right. um, but you know it doesn't have to be sports. It could be anything. Like you, you, you were you were you know the class clown. You right. know you know literally and figuratively. Right. Um, and then you <laughs> made good on your promise. What you know, 10, yeah, 15, 15 years 15, later. Right. You know. So I think yeah. for anybody out there, if you have a, just an inkle or idea oh. or whatever. Um, now is the perfect time to to make good on that promise or that idea you had to yourself. Yeah, I tell you, you know, fear is definitely something that is very troubling to the mind. <clears throat> yeah, it really can hold you back, and especially when yeah. you don't have people in your corner, it just makes you really feel like you're just going into a deep abyss of just loneliness because those that say they're supposed to be there weren't, and so you're just backed into this. Well, maybe I shouldn't do it because, like, it's like you try if you've ever tried to like network marketing kind of thing you know and they like you say oh ask your family and da, da, da. no you should oh, do nothing yeah. like that no 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 that's crazy you don't just go get a job kind of thing yeah oh, what if i start a business you know oh no 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 that's crazy don't don't start no yeah. barbecue place and then people ain't gonna go there you know yeah. you get these doubts and these you know and then that's where the depression starts to kick in well what am what's what's my plot in life what am i really supposed to do right. you know the teachers say i'm i'm slow you know that i'm not picking up the work like i'm supposed to and then you got family that's talking about you you know it's like that can really that plays such a fear. So anybody out there that's like grippling with that or what and whatever your case is, if whatever dream you desire to do, please get out there and do it. Because I'm telling you, I've been away so long from something that I love so much and it just hurts so bad that, you know, I'm glad I'm doing it now. But, man, if I'd have been doing this 10, 15 years ago when I wanted to, you know, but it's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's all still right. got time. I think what happens, too, is people don't believe in you until you make it either. Right. So what yeah. happens is if you're trying to aspire to be people need to understand that Kevin Hart and and uh, all these other people that people admire the weekend or whoever it is, they all started off at a certain point. Right. Right. They didn't just wake up and now they're the weekend. And it's crazy how you look at family members who will look at you trying to, you know, ascend into this space right. and be like, mm, he has a podcast. Huh? That's cute. But yeah. they, they'll turn around and listen to somebody else's podcast mm. or somebody who is this big podcast person. They have no problem listening to the Joe Rogans of the world or anybody right. else. Right. But 
when you realize that your your podcast or your work is comparable to theirs or even better than a lot of other podcasts or right. whatever it is and the people that's supposed to support you they don't do it mm-hmm. and they're not going to fucking do it until right. you make it so right. my thing is is i'm not doing anything to prove it to somebody it's just i'm going to really recognize who is there to support me mm. once you know i reach the apex of where i'm trying to go yeah right? and they're gonna be like it's gonna be people i didn't expect oh my god i always knew you could make it i'll be like i've always known you've been yeah. full of fucking shit you know yeah what? And that's so crazy to say that. Now, and, and I'll share this story too. You know, after I was in this uh, <clears throat> really crazy uh, hazing, I was able to get reach a settlement. And it was funny because I had gotten calls from people I ain't heard from in years. Because that's wow. public. That was public you know, information. That was public, yeah. right? So it was like, you know, I'm getting family <laughs> calling me. You know, friends I ain't talked to in years calling me. Oh man, I got this crazy idea. Oh man, we should link up on this. I'm mm-hmm. like, I ain't talked to you. I'm like looking at the phone. Like, damn, like. Where was y'all at when I was depressed and yeah, sad and lonely, yeah, yeah. hurt and distraught and just and full of anguish and fear? Where was you at? But now all of a sudden, I ain't got a little bit of bread and it's public knowledge. You can go look me up. And it's like, oh, now, oh, let me, oh, man, I got this great idea, man. We can buy this land. Oh, man, I heard you got some money. Look, oh, I got man, this business so opportunity. Sad. And wow. it's like, you think that I'm going to give anybody money after, you know, like what you've been through? Yeah. It's for me and my family. This is crazy how it just, you, you, Sometimes things bring out the worst in people like mm. for this COVID-19 situation has brought out things in people that I never would have thought I've seen oh. in my lifetime. Right. Um, but it's like it's crazy how you could go through something on your own. Like, let's say you're going to the NBA or some sport and you're busting your ass. You're by yourself. You, can, you probably can't even really find somebody to rebound the ball for you while you take over a thousand shots a day. You chasing down every ball and right. then you make it to the NBA and all the motherfuckers that never helped you got the nerve <laughs> to be like, out. hey, right. man, like I see you make it, man. God bless you. But, right. you know, I got this barbershop I'm trying to open. I'm like, man, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When it when and I don't want to get into your pockets. Um, no, go ahead. but as far as like, did you have a plan on how to sustain your money? Because you mm. know that's a problem we see a lot is okay. uh, people come across even with this the stimulus. You know, a lot of people came across more money than they probably had at one time, and it just it was gone within maybe a couple of weeks. So, did you have a plan when you came across all that money? Yes, I did. The first plan was to go get me a steak at the steakhouse. <laughs> that was the first plan when I got it. <laughs> plural. Plural. Not singular. Plural. I had to give me like two steak plates at, um, what was it? Oh, uh, BJ's. How many ounces, ounces of the steak? Oh, man, it was like a 10-ounce steak. God damn. Me. It was really great. So, yeah. But, <laughs> so, but I... I <laughs> but but yeah no I I did have a plan my plan was um, first I was living over there in the hood over there off of Eleventh oh and so, wow yeah so I was living on the east there. side east side Project yeah. Housing baby over here oh. off of East California yeah I know right yeah side. so yeah. I was over there living over there me and my kids you know so when that when that hit I'm like oh please believe I'm getting the fuck out of here yeah, right? that's no good no more and one of the great things I think one of the things I learned actually and to be honest with you is that. When you when you go in there and you're traumatically scarred from something that like happened to you, you know, you, you, your mind's not thinking about what's taking place at the time, right? So, when I was signing all these paperwork with the attorneys and everything, my mind, what I I was still thinking about everything that happened to me already in the year, you know, from like the hazing and you know the the uh, the car accidents and the rape and just you know all the different the suicide. I'm thinking of all this stuff in my head while I'm trying to sign these papers. Yeah. So I'm just signing. And I'm not really like really getting what I'm signing because I'm like really PTSD out. 
totally mm-hmm. all the way. And so I signed the paper. And then when the money started coming, when the money kicked, kicked back, see, you know, what was happening was this. And, I, and I've said this before because I said it in the CHB paper and I'll say it right here on this podcast. When I received the two, when the two million dollars was kicked back. OK, the attorneys, first of all, took their 40 percent. Okay, that's from when out in there in L.A. They need to get theirs. The referring attorneys got their 10 percent from Mm -hmm. Bakersfield. Okay, so that's 50 right there. Right. So then then on top of that, my surgery costs like damn near the one I had to have on my back. The the big one that they did when they kicked my my bone was kicked out of my back down near that one costs. Like damn near like one hundred seventy five thousand. So you got to make sure that you're see. I was on my parents insurance because I was still under I was still under twenty six mm-hmm. when that happened. So I was still able, so I had to pay back their their insurance, all the surgeries and all the medical procedures I had. I paid that money back. So really, when you get the kickback, it's not as much as you think it of is. Of course not. But one of the greatest things I think I did for myself is I bought my house cash Ooh. and I own it. Yeah. And it's a 13,000 square foot home. And I don't have to sleep yeah, on it. That is plush. Yeah. You can and see I, the stars out there. <laughs> <laughs> Keep, I know we have to take on it. That's why I move out there because I don't want my family. They're going to drive all the way from the country. Oh, <laughs> they can't come out there with me, baby. They're going to run out of gas they before they get to Brent House. <laughs> and, and I think that was the greatest thing I did because now all I have to do is just pay my bills. That's Which so is like, awesome. what? Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? But I did that because I don't, I mean, and I, and the only thing I could think of is that I never want to live on the street again. I never want to feel yeah. the coldness of the concrete again. I never want to have to hold on to somebody homeless with you that smells like unadulterated piss. Unadulterated Okay. Piss. Again, yeah. you know, like it was just tra- traumatic for me Let's being go, homeless. Go, go into that story really quick, just so people understand what you're talking oh, okay. about. Okay. So the unadulterated piss that I'm referring to story is this. So when I was, um, I was actually kicked out of my, of uh, my parents' house because we had differences. So my kids went, you know, with their mom and then I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I ended up thinking, well, where do homeless people go? I didn't, I just didn't, my only thought was, well, they must go to Union. So when I went to the park over there off of East California, uh, Martin Luther King Park, I'm sitting there just like cold, I'm shivering, I'm shaking and everything. And then the lady, she was an older, you know, lady, she was like, she was like Hispanic, I'm not sure. Uh, because she was like really gringy and it was dark. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So she's like, hey, she saw me over there shaking. I'm sh- I'm just like shivering. I'm like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I, you know, I don't know kind of thing. And she's like, oh, you know, come over. Either you're going to hug on me and be warm or you're going to be cold. Well, the thing is that she smelled so bad in urine that it was just traumatic for me. And I had to make a decision. Was it going to be warm or was it going to be cold? I was warm, but the smell was so bad that I I kept throwing up. I really kept throwing up. You know, I would turn over and I would just throw up mm. because it was just that vile to my nostrils. Oh my god! Yeah, that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's such a uh, like a volatile. Like, yeah. Oh my god! It was nasty. Man, mm-hmm. Well, I mean. You moved on from that. So yeah, so yeah, thing. so it was a great thing. I got mm-hmm. my house key. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> no more concrete. <laughs> no more piss. No, I'm telling you, no more piss, Keith. <laughs> I piss on my whole floor. Right. <laughs> oh, man, man. No more urine for Brent. <laughs> <laughs> boy, you're so well, boy. You're so hey, 
I was I was going through uh, Los Angeles. I was going through Los Angeles the other day, mm. and um, the, and I was on the I five. Oh, okay. But like, I was stuck in traffic, barely moving, so I just busted out my phone and and. Uh, I just started recording and I was like, dude, I don't understand how anybody could want to live in Los Angeles. Oh like it's so gosh. overpopulated and it smells like uh, fucking urine everywhere. Uh-huh. Like everywhere. It smells like urine on I-5, the fucking 101, the 405. <laughs> and it's like, oh I, my gosh. I, I think I remember saying if they had a football team that truly reflected Los Angeles, they'd be called the Los Angeles urines. <laughs> smell like fucking piss everywhere. Oh my gosh. LA yeah, smells like cat piss, it man. Does. It, it's yeah. human piss, cat piss, every piss. You know, and, and, you know what's crazy to me is that, you know, and it's and it's, it's this is this I'll tell you about how crazy twenty twenty has been, right? So, you know, my mom found her brother after not seeing him for thirty four years. Wow. Thirty four years just up and left and never saw the family again, right? So finally came back um, into the fold because he was hospitalized and they were trying to find his family. They were mm-hmm. actually gonna just you know pull the plug. And so found him and everything and come to find out he was actually homeless, you know, for those years. And okay. so um, we actually had to drive down to Skid Row like from the from January 1st all the way up until like Jan- before, the, before the, the Black History Show. For oh, the Black okay. History oh, Show, wow. right? Okay. Yeah. So every weekend we were driving out there to check on him and everything. And every time we drive out there, oh my goodness, the smell of just it, it was so. And I under I my totally agree with huh? you. It really did bring flashbacks to me. I bet. And and not only just the flashbacks, but it showed me one thing about the federal government, and that's this: is that my uncle was on um, receiving um, benefits. He's getting his like SSI yeah. for like six hundred dollars or something like that. Well, the government, you know, has those buildings out there that they have the homeless. You can stay there, but mm-hmm. you got to pay rent, you Ooh, know. And okay. it's a closet. It's a literally a closet, you know. And I mean, you in the the elevators don't work. The bathrooms don't work. Wow. You know, my uncle's here. He came out of the hospital with a. Uh, a feeding tube inside of them. So, you know, it was just like, it was the most just craziest thing to see. And it, it, you, when you said that, it's like, you know, it brought back memories because it does, it's, it's the worst smell. And it's crazy because they do not clean the city like they're supposed to. No, they don't. I, I literally saw somebody take a shit like mm. right in front of me. And I'm sitting there going, I don't feel comfortable right now. Yeah. You're yeah. just staring at me taking a shit. Like, this is not okay. This yeah. is normal kind of thing. And the guys are telling me, oh, yeah, he, he, he likes doing that in front of people. Wow. Okay. So we got some mental health issues going on there, too. Oh, wow. And so I said the reason why it ended is because he actually passed away um, the day before the comedy show. Oh, my God. Oh, and man. so when I went up there, people were like, oh, you know, and I like to put this out there that some people, were, I mean, thank you guys for, you know, for believing me like, you know, like you said, you were. I appreciate that. Yeah. There were also people that were saying, oh, well, you know, he, I was holding back. And what they didn't realize is I was holding back tears. Oh, I just spent yeah. this whole two months getting to know this man. And then he passed yeah. away right before the show. Wow, yeah. Saying you were holding back like as a criticism holding, no, 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 to your no, show. No, your just set. like holding back just tears. Just oh, okay. The whole time, the whole set, I was up there oh, really okay. trying to hold my emotions together. Yeah. Man. That's crazy. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why it's important not to be like, I mean, obviously we need to ask questions and not right. be so judgmental about yeah. people's situations. Yeah, because yeah, we, don't, we don't fucking know them. Yeah. We don't know yeah. situations. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, man, that piss smell, man, it is just, it's, it's sad. And it's really sad when you see 
pregnant women that have to walk downstairs because the elevator doesn't work and they live God on the fifth dang. floor. Yeah. 80 year old women walking downstairs because the elevator doesn't work, you know, and they know about this. They know that yeah. this stuff doesn't work. They don't give a shit. They just want their money. Yeah. Los, Los Angeles is so, is so out of control. Not only oh, with, the, with the, the price of rent is insane, too. <laughs> It's people that are roommates to other people and they pay like $2,800 a month and they're roommates. I was watching a, a, a documentary, well not documentary, but a show called Last Chance You mm. on Netflix. And on the newer season, it's, oh, yeah. it's Laney College, which is in the Oakland area. Oh, okay. And the rent is so crazy that there is a guy that's a star player on the team that sleeps in his car. Yeah, this shit is fucking nuts. <laughs> what? Yeah. Stupid. It's crazy, but to, yeah. to reel it all in, yeah. Um, with LA man, uh, I think Joe Rogan was talking about that. The reason why you see so much shit in the streets, like not like literal shit mm. and also like tents and stuff right. and like belongings on the sidewalk is they made it a law where the the police used to just disregard the people's stuff and throw it away and tell people to leave. Right. But they, they uh, I can't remember which mayor it was that did it. It wasn't Garcetti. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But it, this, this happened in California and LA. But mm. um they made it a law that you can just throw away homeless people stuff. Oh, so wow. sometimes yeah. when you're driving down the road and you look up over the overpass, right. you'll see a whole community of tents. Mm. Yeah. And it's just like, fuck, this is bad. Like, yeah. I wonder how many people move to LA with like promises of being an actor or a musician. Mm. And then they and end they up just, in a tent. They end up in a tent and they God never damn. fucking leave. There's a lot of them. Yeah. There's people that come from all over the country to do that. And you know what's crazy? You just brought up a great story. You know, um, when I was out there in L.A., <laughs> these uh, black women came into this uh, little shop that I was in. And I was like, damn, these women. I was like, I'm thinking to myself, they is fine. I know they, they was like they can't be homeless, you know. But show, lo and behold, I went up and asked them, hey, you know, how you guys doing? Oh, you know, we hungry. You know, we need to eat. You know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, why you guys need to eat? Oh, you know, we're all homeless. And I'm like, y'all homeless? Like, they were just... A bunch of like students that you know parents like neglected them and yeah. you know couldn't really live on their own so they just like they smart you know yeah. but they homeless I yeah. thought that was just like I was yeah. I was talking to Tyron um I did an interview with him and you know the Bay Area is kind of this like weird place a bunch of quirky people out there right. but also the rent is so high and he was talking about how yeah. there's you know when he was going to school there would be some homeless people that he was you know very cordial with mm. um and they would chop it up every now and and, and then and um it was just interesting you know you know kind of going back to that is you, they could be going to uc berkeley getting an education but right. they ain't got no house yeah. to live in yeah. Or no apartment yeah that's nuts living in the car yeah yeah, yeah terrible <laughs> Mm, wow. That's a trip. I want to ask another. What, what was like your so when you got your your house? What was your home buying process like? Because it's something that you know I've been trying to look into, like buying a house. You know, mm, how you long know, did it take and stuff like that? Well, you know what? Um, once uh, it didn't take long because you, you know, had all that fucking money. When I bought it out. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Look, hit a check, <laughs> bring me me house." Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. I mean, uh, in the beginning, though, I will say that. You know, I had went with this uh, young brother that I was trying to get to give me houses and stuff. And, you know, the attorneys all knew that I was going to be receiving some money. So they're like, well, if you're trying to get a house, then we'll kick you out some money and then you'll just give it back to us once mm -hmm. we get the full settlement. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, OK, cool. So I actually started going house shopping and, you know, I actually put money down for a house and I actually got like 
burned by this because this guy didn't oh. tell me that you know he the, the escrow thing had locked out already oh. and it was like so much misinformation and so and it's not keeping it real like let me know yeah when something's going on so we can figure it out together but let things like escalate to where i lost five thousand oh, dollars of my bitch. own money you know what i mean so i'm like, hot i'm mad right have, now yeah. right so i have no respect for you know the brother that did it because it's like you made me lose money you know mm-hmm. and so but when I now I went to a season, um, what's her name? Not Sylvia, um, Mary Cruz. Now I went to her and I said, Hey, um, you know, could you help me find out? She said, Oh, no problem. And I mean, literally, this woman has been doing real estate for years, like way before the, you know, when that boom hit in 2007. Mm-hmm. Like she's been doing this. Like she's been eight, through the ebbs and flows. Right. Yeah. She yeah. came in through after the crack air. So like 88, 89, <laughs> came through and said she's been just pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Right? To where she owns like a, 20 bedroom house and got her own salon and everything oh kind gosh. of thing. So she's, she doesn't play. Like she'll, if you need to find a house, she would be the one I refer because when she went house hunting for me and my family, it didn't take long for us to find the house that I'm in now. And the deal was to me was so sweet because I get to own it. Mm-hmm. It's mine. And, and, and she actually was taking her time. She was like, making sure that, and that's one thing that the other guy didn't do. It was like, you know, sometimes the people would still be there. So there's kind of like this tension kind of thing. Like, you know, like if I walk up to your house and you see me walking up, you know, and you looking kind of like funny, I'm like, man, why does he look like I'm trying to buy his house, you know? Yeah. Like, what's up with that? Why are you yeah, staring at me yeah, like yeah, this, right, you know? Right, right, right. Because so, uh, you, don't, you don't know their situation. They could have had to sell it because well, they ain't got no money. Right, know? right, right. And so I, I, me not knowing the situation, I was sitting there going, okay, so let me just mm-hmm. keep my mind off of them because every time I pull up to certain places, each I mean, and this wasn't just like each house we pull up to. Sometimes they'd be home, and I'd be oh. like, "This is kind of like." They could be intimidating you know? too. They're like, "Who's this right. black? Who's this black man with all these Big Macs walking up I'll on tell me?" You right now. I'll try to tell you. That's funny. That <sighs> was well, funny. But yeah, so I mean, for the most part, I feel like, you know, I think she'd be the great greatest bet for you. And I honestly feel like, you know, when it comes to like really trying to find a home, she really like immediately had like 15 already lined up as soon as I called her. And That's then when cool. I called her, told her my price and what I'm looking for, she was like Okay, so I found this one that's like like three hundred and fifty. I said, "Tell my dude for three hundred." It was done. Done. Yeah. Wow. And just because it was cash. Yeah. Damn, cash is king. Man. Cash, cash is, is king. king. And I mean, for like sure, as far sure. as property tax, I mean, I know I'm still I'm still making ends, so it's kind of like you know, as long as I save every month mm-hmm. and. Like you was, oh, excuse me. Like you were saying, you know, making sure that I have that financial investment to where I never fall back behind. Because mm-hmm. now, even though the house is paid, I still got the notes and everything that come sporadically. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the year, the insurance will hit, and then you know I got to pay for the car and everything, and then mm-hmm. be like, so I got to make sure that every month I put money away for all of that. Yeah. And then I keep my. Then the rest is just me. Yeah. And I feel like I'm living. Well, you know, I don't know about the American dream, but I'm living the dream. You know, yeah, it's yeah. a dream that a lot of people don't. Most yeah. people, even the people that that you think they just doing so good and they got all the oh. nice cars, they got all those fucking bills, yeah. and it's eating them alive, man. And, mm-hmm. and you know what's crazy is that you know when I was and I will tell this story because 
And, and you're right. You know, you're right about that. It, they will. A lot of people will post um, their like, you know, mm-hmm. their lives and everything. Makes yeah. them, oh, this is this is how you know I live in like a a freaking one bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was really crazy to me, and I don't mean to like jump, but I do want to tell the story. One of the things that was crazy to me is that I went to the Bahamas. Me and my fiance at the time, we went to the Bahamas, and when we got there, you know, um, I was. Just like, you know, first of all, I was treated like I was like, actually, I worked there. So then, you know, and I'm just talking about, I guess, because we brought up money. So, you know, they thought I worked there at this at this little at Sandals Resort is where I stayed at. Mm-hmm. And they thought like every time I would wear stuff, they thinking I was a worker. You mm-hmm. know, like this one lady was like, and I need a towel. And I was like, uh, OK, <laughs> all right, you need to get, you know, get your towel. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what's wrong? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and like all this stuff. So I threw her towels in the pool so you can go fetch oh, them. You know, so I just walked over there, got me two pizzas. You know what I mean? And went back to the room and slammed them and just went to sleep, drinking some coconut water. You know what I mean? Damn. But <laughs> so, this, this nigga just casually ate two pizzas and just moved on with the rest of his story. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> to make a long story short, right? Make a long story short. So, I, yeah. you know, the I was invited to this group, and how I was invited was I always like talking to people. You know, I get around people who like love having conversations, and so we were all in this jacuzzi. You know, me and my fiance, and you know, the ladies and stuff. And then they all some for some reason they all got up and left. So then the guy goes, "Hey, you know, so what is it that you, you know, like you got to be here? You must be somebody." I was like, "Oh yeah, you rapper. Know, I'm somebody. Yeah, I started. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm somebody. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in Cali. I do my thing. Oh yeah, well, you know." There's a secret little, you know, society that I got this little thing over here. We're going to be having cigars later. You know, you want to come over and, and join us, you know, thinking I was just like some cool black hip kind of guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I get over there and it was a group of white men. Right. Mm-hmm. A group of them. Right. And they're like, OK, so, you know, you can only be in here if you make like 500,000, if your bank account is like 500,000 and up. If you don't have that much money in your bank account, you can't come up in here. Well, luckily at the time I did. Yeah. Okay, so I brother got up in there, but what I noticed is that when I got in there, first of all, they tell me they try to treat me like I was a token black guy, you know, like okay, this this is a, the brother that's gonna be cool with us and hip. So I played the part a little bit, and I go in there and they're like, well, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why, why are you? Why are we all? What, what's going on here? Well, we like to all come together and we really like to just talk about you know our lives and drink alcohol and smoke cigars. And I was like, okay, well, what's what's what is it about you guys? He's like, well, we really just come here to have sex with all the women. You know, I was like, oh, all the all the what women Well, all the bohemian women. I said, oh, they were like, yeah. I was like, oh, OK. I was like, so this is a society of men that have a lot of money. They just come here, and have sex with women. Are your wives here? Yeah. Huh. This is very, very interesting. So this is a sex club. Wow. <laughs> that mm-hmm. you get in only if you make a certain amount of money. <clears throat> and somehow I slipped the. The, the, you know, like slipped through the cracks here and yeah. got in. And this is so fucking weird right now. Did you have sex? No. I'm playing with <laughs> that. bohemian pussy <laughs> here different. <laughs> that bohemian rhapsody, you know? right? I, I did not have any entanglement <laughs> with no bohemian woman, amen. <laughs> no, oh, man. man. But it's just really crazy. Like, when you, like, when you get money, it's funny because those that have money like you somehow find you. Yeah. It's really crazy how that works. 
you know, and they, they came around and I'm just like, I had this one guy that came into my life and he was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to do this, that and this. And he was trying to get me for like 20 G's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of it, he's trying to get me for 20 G's so he can start his own, you know, own business. Oh my God. You know, and I'm just sitting there going like, what? I was like, why? Are, why yeah. was like, first it was like when I was broke, nobody want to be around. Now, yeah. now I got, no, I got money and everybody want to be my friend. And then people that have money want to try to take your money from you. See, that's why whenever you're in a position um, financially, whatever the case, right. or, or you're trying to ascend in any, uh, whether it's media, whatever, I feel like I know within the coming years, me and Keith are going to be in situations where we're going to be around people that have a lot of money that might try to influence us or say, hey, this would be cool if you did this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not fucking with none of it. Yeah, I think me, The thing that I love about Keith is. Like we both move to the beat of our own drum, so mm-hmm. we're not gonna be like, "Oh, this is this." Is. I know Keith's not gonna bring some bullshit. Like yeah, between right. as a collaborative, any guests we've had on here has been because we both bounced off each other. Or Keith would be like, "Hey, this guy would be cool," or right. X and Y. So if you could trust somebody like that and you got that network, cool. But I'm not gonna meet some Joe Blow and he'd be like, "Hey, you gotta show up over here, man. You gotta be in this club." Like fuck your club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need any uh, of that, man. Right. Yeah, yeah. and that's what kind of like happened right after. I found out because one thing I don't like is the fact that, you know, I don't care about what you do with your wives, but I said I'm a black man. And as a black man, to hear you sitting there saying that you Bohemian, come out here, yeah. have sex with Bohemian women who are black women. Yeah. You know, I got a problem with that. You know, mm-hmm. then you yeah. see them sitting there saying bragging about oh yeah, and bragging about how they had kids out there. They got oh, kids wow. like they got kids like getting these girls pregnant <clears throat> and just giving them some money. And then that's it. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess uh, I, I I don't like the the I guess the strategy behind it. Mm-hmm. I don't mind anybody having sex with whoever they have sex with, but it right. just it's coming from a place that doesn't sound very good. Right. That's 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 the problem. Especially with the historical context of right. you know, slave yeah. you know slave owners going and sneaking stuff. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Do you um I guess you know we're getting ready to wrap yeah. up, but do you have any uh just any advice for um dealing with those kind of people right the people that are trying to attach themselves to you or take money from you or you know i think the i think one of the biggest things for me is um i have a mentor you know my father is my biggest mentor Mm -hmm. you know and if i ever have any kind of like you know granted that now like you know he's you know at that age and because of all his ailments you know it's going you know kind of like dripping down you know and so Mm -hmm. but i think the biggest thing is that he taught me a lot, like once I got the money and everything. And so I would say to anybody, like, make sure that you, you know, really, first of all, you need to find you somebody that can really help you with your finances, right. you know, really help you like economically as well, like to try to put money somewhere. Like, you know, I have money in a couple of stocks and stuff like that. I have, yeah. a, I have a business, like I have a, I have a, a health app coming out. It's called uh, Mioji that I like oh, to yeah, push out pretty soon. That. Yeah. Awesome. So it's like, you know, we we're trying to get that out. And it's it's just like, you know. If you can, you'll find people that that will mesh with that you'll mesh with. Like you were saying, you both have that meshing that you guys have when you do this podcast. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. But you really got to really know them. <clears throat> right. You got to really ask the question like, how did you? How were you raised? Like, how was your childhood? Yeah. Like, right. What you know? And so, if you ask those questions and really get to know who they are, then I say you know just try to test the water. But it it took me a long time. Like my business partner now, it took us a couple of years. You know, before we really, and then now, like, we trust each other. Yeah. But it, it takes time, you know. Don't yeah. get in some, like, right away. See, that's the thing. You know, people had to, like, re- hear something real quick. Oh, man, I'm going to do this. It's you a susu. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do it. Oh, $500 yeah. I put in, I get $10,000 back. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do it. And then lose their money. 
Yeah. And they mad, you know? Right. Exactly. So. Yeah, you do got to know somebody for, for a while. Right. I think the unfair advantage that, that I have or we have, me and Keith, as, as a collaborative, is I've known Keith like 20 years. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. You that's know, a blessing. His older brother is my best friend. Oh. So, Keith is always like a little brother to me. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's when you have that type of dynamic. And I'm not trying to like be a braggart or sound like narcissistic, but I want to find anybody that has done 123 straight episodes. Mm. Right. And and that's not to sound narcissistic, but no. it's it's a reason why that's happening. Yes. It's because the relationship. Right. Yeah. So I think that like the type of relationship me and Keith have in order for me to have like every single one of my relationships mm. have to be like that. Mm. Like if I'm if I have a girlfriend married. It has to be that type of relationship. And most people aren't capable of that. That's why I have a problem being in relationships because you start noticing all the inadequacies of people. I need consistency. I need support. And I'm willing to support. And a lot of times it's always so Mm one-sided. It's not good, man. So That's real. Yeah. Let's go ahead. uh, Where we at, man? Uh, 206. Okay. So go ahead and wrap it up. Britt McClanahan, everybody. Yeah, man. It was yeah, great. It was great conversation. Great, great conversation, man. Yeah. Um, I hope to be back soon. Brent, the crazy you know? part, Brent got a cri- I mean, he he told us a micro fraction of really <laughs> <laughs> But you, uh, I, I don't want to extend it that much longer, but you, uh-huh. you're working on a book you were telling me? I am. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I am working on this book. It's going to be called My Reality. Uh, it'll have plenty of the stories that you heard today. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good, some bad, but mostly just, you know, how... 2011 really shifted um, my thinking process, how it really affected me, you know, and what and what took place. You know, um, mm-hmm. I said it throughout the podcast, but I'll say it to just really end it because I really want my story to be out there now. Car accident in the beginning of the year after the car accident, I was kicked out homeless for three months. Um, my kids were taken to their mother after that. I was raped in the process of being homeless. I was also on a lot of different kind of antidepressants. Then after being homeless, I was accepted back into my parents' house. I tried to, I went to, on to try to join a fraternity. Then I was hazed in that fraternity. So then <clears throat> um, there's a documentary that's hopefully going to be coming out within either this year or next. It was supposed to come out this year because of COVID. It's, it's not going to, but, you know, hopefully soon that will highlight everything that had me in and during that hazing. Um, after the hazing, I came out in recovery, but then I had like all these different ailments, neurogenic damage, bladder, retro ejaculation, uh, leg drop. I had, um, <clears throat> I have no feeling in my left leg anymore. And I, um, you know, just suffered a lot of different kind of, uh, medical illnesses, especially my mental health also took place too, because I started becoming bi- very bipolar. Also, uh, also, uh, became, um, schizophrenic, you know, ha- um, hallucinations. And so, all that took place. And then towards the end of the year, I started seeing a lot of doctors. I had the procedure done I talked about earlier. And then when I found out that, you know, they told me that I would never have kids again, I, you know, committed suicide, but the bullet jammed in the gun. So all of that pretty much is going to be in the book. When it comes out, it'll be more detailed and intricate. Um, when it does, I, I just want everybody just to, you know, just to, you know, enjoy this, you know, know my story as well. Yeah. And this is why I'm happy to share my story. This is the first time I ever shared it. That's you know, awesome, man. So this is this is my kickoff. You That's know. a big well, step. Congrats, well, man. Well, Brent, you came to the right place. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. We I don't got a visual it. podcast, but my face is scrunched up the whole episode <laughs> listening to all these stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking, uh, fucking Keith, Keith Beard got gray as a motherfucker listening to this. Every story, every story about Big Macs. <laughs> 
Look like a male storm over here. Yeah, man. Yeah. You yeah. gonna drop by McDonald's? Yeah, Brent. <laughs> well, well, folks, if you made it to the end of this episode, we appreciate you. Thank yeah. you for listening to a Trucker's Mind podcast. I'm Eddie McGee. It's your boy K. Fings. We're out of here. Peace.